Radio Mano Papachango. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. What other options are there? <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, I've been sitting here all day organizing uh, research for this book that I've been talking about forever. And as much as I bitch and complain about it, I have to admit uh, I get a chuckle every once in a while going through these papers and this stuff because I'm. Uh, it just it's such a privilege to work on things that interest you. And uh, especially when your interests are all over the fucking place the way mine are. So I'll just read. I, I just got a pile of papers here. Uh, and these are things I'm organizing. Uh, this one's called Myths About Hunter-Gatherers, Nomadic Forager, War and Peace. Uh, here we have Children Educate Themselves, The Wisdom of Hunter-Gatherers. Why has human progress ground to a halt? <clears throat> Poverty affects genetics. Play as a foundation for hunter-gatherer social existence. Uh, This is about old people dying in hospitals. Then we have child-rearing practices of distant ancestors foster morality and compassion in kids. Uh, And then we have... uh, Hadza fecal transplant. What happened the day I replaced 99% of the genes in my body with those of a hunter-gatherer? And then we have uh, a guaranteed basic income. What if everybody didn't have to work to get paid? How the political system affects happiness. Uh, More on basic income. Uh, Here's something on hearing voices and how different societies around the world... um, frame the hearing of voices. Interesting point that I I read in that article was that even deaf people hear voices in their heads. That's kind of cool, huh? Uh, Welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking. Uh, I I feel like I'm barging into your day, so maybe you could barge into mine. That's what's going on over here. This episode is with a guy named Don Mira, and it's one of those serendipitous episodes that I love bringing you so much because it's, uh, I don't know, I guess it replicates some of the things I like most about life. Um, And particularly one of those things that I love about travel, which is why I travel so much, is that sense of uh, how how things get out of control. You know, You, you don't know what's coming. And I love that. I love at the end of the day when you look back and you say, God damn, yesterday I had no idea that today was going to be like this. Um, So what happened was I got an email from a guy who said, hey, I listen to your podcast. I hear you're doing this van thing. I'm a photographer and um, I'd love to come and uh, take some photos of you in the van. And I thought, well, that's a really nice offer, but it's a junky old van with a shitty paint job and I'm ugly and old and who the fuck wants to take pictures of any of that. Uh, but then I looked at his website and uh, his name's Don Mira, M-I-R-R-A. You can uh, check out his website as well. As well. I think it's just Um Anyway, he is 
a great photographer. Really, uh, not only beautiful work, but um, in the tradition of some of the best photography, um, he takes beautiful images of some very difficult subject matter. Um, and so in looking at his website, I thought, I just want to meet this guy. I mean, I don't really give a shit about pictures of my van, but seems like a cool guy. He's coming to L.A. anyway. He's got something else going on. So, you know, I'll make some time, uh, you know, have a coffee with him, whatever. And um, so we did. I think we met at four or five o'clock. So we'd get the, the good light and, and uh, really hit it off. Ended up having dinner, hanging out. And I said, hey, you want to just do a podcast tonight? And sure. OK, why not? So we just recorded it sort of sitting around in my living room here. And um, he's he's one of the most fascinating people I've met in a long time. Uh, he's so fascinating. I'll I'll share this with you. I haven't shared this with Don. And so hearing this will be the first time he's heard this. He's so interesting that there are a couple times when I stopped and thought, is this guy bullshitting me? Come on now. You climbed El fucking Capitan and you're, you were a rowing champ in college and then you joined this special elite unit of the Marine Corps where you flew all over the world and parachuted behind enemy lines and were using underwater breathing apparatus. And <sighs> Come on now. Come on. This started to sound like bullshit. Nobody's done this much. Well, no, I think he's done it. I think he's for real. Because as you'll hear, he, he, you know, when people are lying, they don't like to use details. They don't like to say the unit they were in. They don't like to be specific about where they've gone. And then you, you look at his website and it's like, oh, yeah, there's these are the photographs he took when he was doing the the project about orphans all over the world. And these are the shots in Eastern Europe. And I remember he told me that story about being in Romania. And then here's the work he did in Haiti. And the guy's not full of shit. He's just a super fascinating guy who's been all over the place and done all sorts of really interesting work and um, and had just more experiences packed into his life than most, uh, most of us can imagine. So uh, really cool guy, very unassuming. Uh, you know, he's not a self-promoter. He's just uh, really, you know, living a rich life. So... Anyway, I know it's the kind of guy you like to meet. That's the kind of guy I like to introduce you to. So here he is, Don Mira. Check out his website, donmira, M-I-R-R-A dot com. Let me just confirm that while I've got you here. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, Don Mira. Yeah, that's it, donmira.com. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, a lot of he, he also does a lot of uh, beautiful uh, photography of uh, women, and he did a project called The Reluctant Muse, which is um, a lot of nudes of real women. They're not models. They're women. They're friends of his or women he met. You know, some in some cases, I think he said they're just women he met in the streets. And, you know, he went up to them and just sort of gave them a card and, hey, check out my work. I'd love to feature you and some stuff. Um, they're not these sort of like perfect fashion model bodies they're real women, they're different shapes and sizes, and uh, the photographs are really beautiful. And he did this um, sort of limited edition, I think he only did a thousand copies of the book. He gave me one really beautiful 
beautiful work. So if you like that kind of work and you have a little cash, he's they're selling they sell for sixty bucks each, but uh People who listen to this podcast who want to get a copy can use the code TANGENT, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and get 25% off the list price. And um, let me see. Now, where that would be Don Mira, Reluctant Muse. How's this for professionalism? I'm Googling shit while you're there. Uh, Okay, so here's where you find it. Whew, it's kind of. I'll put a link up on my site, of course. But for those of you who are driving down the road, or you know, whatever, can't get to my website for one reason or another, it's at uh, a website called iapetuspublishing.com. I a p e t u s publishing.com, and then in the shop you'll find the Reluctant Muse. You'll see the price is sixty bucks, but when you check out. Use the code TANGENT and you'll get, uh, what do you say, 25% off, a quarter off. So that's pretty cool, 15 bucks off. Uh, that's it. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm going to play you out with um, a tune. I was sort of looking at music and I was thinking, what what's appropriate for this guy? Because he's, he's kind of, he's so badass, but he's gentle and he's, he's sweet. And uh, yeah, he's... Um, there's a lot going on. And I was I looked at um, Tinaroin, who, who are this band from the Sahara. They're Talregs. And they're badass. Um, but they're also sweet. And they play this really beautiful melodic music. This song's called Asuf, A-S-S-O-U-F. And um, Tinaroin, they're, they're uh, desert wanderers. And uh, Don's a bit of a wanderer, so I thought maybe this would be appropriate. So I'm playing you out with Asuf by Tinarawen, T-I-N-A-R-E-A-R-W-E-N, I think it is. You can Google them. They've they've got stuff all over. They've got a bunch of albums out. They've been on TV a bit. I think they were on the Colbert Report a few years ago. They play, um, you know, they're these nomadic tribesmen in the Sahara. They sort of don't, they're like desert gypsies. They don't recognize borders and... They wear these distinctive blue outfits and, uh, you know, camel trains and stuff. And I just imagine them out in the Sahara Desert at night playing their electric guitars on their solar-powered, battery-powered amplifiers. And must be some pretty interesting scenes going on out there. All right. Hope you enjoy this. Thanks for your support. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, hope everything's going wonderful for you wherever you are, whatever's happening in your life.
I'm sitting in my living room with a guy I just met a couple hours ago, Don. What was he going to say? Mira? Mira. Mira. M-I-R-R-A. Correct. And your website is? DonMira.com. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so bring people up to speed. You wrote to me. You heard about the podcast. You listened to some of the podcast. Then you wrote to me and said... I'm a photographer, and I'd like to take some shots of your van. You're you're going on this trip, and you know whatever. And initially, I thought, well, like who the fuck cares? It's just a van. It's a van. With, I think I actually wrote to you and I said it's a van with a bad paint job. You know, like, yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to paint it because I don't want it to look fancy. I don't want it to look like hey, let's see what's in that van. You know, no, you want to hide in the wide open. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but uh, I looked at your website and your photography is so fucking good. I, I just wanted to meet you even if I was wasting your time with the van. That's not telling you the truth. Well, y- you did because that van's pretty bad. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No. If you can make that van <laughs> yeah. look good, you're a real. Well, it's, it's trying. It might just be really black and white with grain, which is a great way to make up for bad there photography. You you yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. So. It, looks, it looks exotic <laughs> and French. Yeah, but I've, I have a long history with uh, living in a van. I had a 1978 VW camper van that I bought um, with my friend's money, my friend Darren, 
reaching out to Darren, showing love. Hey, Darren. He, yeah, he bought the van for me, and then I paid him back. That's great. Because I didn't have the money. You financed your first he van. He did. And so uh, I got the van in Flagstaff, Arizona. <clears throat> it had been like half garage, half like parked, and I just brought it back to California, and I ripped the windows out and ripped all the rubber and did wow. like a full-blown restoration. I mean, mm. I sanded it down. I shot with Deltron, you know, the manufacturer's paint recommendation and put new seals on the pop-up roof and upholstered some of it myself and then i lived in it for about six months so did you learn how to do that while you were doing it or do you already know how to do that kind of stuff you know i kind of both Mm. i met somebody who's like here's how you wet sand the body of the car Mm. and then uh then i would go to the shop and say i'd like to replace the windows in the van how do i do that isn't it cool how generous people are with knowledge especially if you're willing to ask stupid questions and just admit right. ignorance. You right. know, I kind of operate from this methodology. Uh, the person who asks a question is an idiot for five minutes, and the person that doesn't is an idiot for life. Right. So I'm going to fail my way to success and wisdom, Right. which I'm doing really well at. I'm really failing a lot, and <laughs> wisdom is a long way away. Well done. Well done. Yeah, I was talking to a guy the other day, uh, Kyle Tierman, who's we did a podcast. Uh, I don't know if it'll go up before or after this one. Who knows? But um, Kyle's a professional surfer. He's 20, I think he's 25, maybe, something like that, mid-20s. And, uh, you know, I said something to him. You're talking about knowledge and, and generosity and all this. I said something. I don't remember what it was, but um, in the course of conversation, I mentioned a book or a movie or something, right? And we were, we were driving, I think. And then uh, later, we were sitting down. He said, oh, by the way, what was that film you mentioned earlier? And he had his notebook out and he, or his phone, and he was taking a note. And I thought, that guy, that guy's going to go far because he makes me want to help him because he's paying attention. Because he's, he's, you know what I mean? He's following through. He's a young guy who's not like, hey, dude, do this for me. He's like, hey, man. You know, whatever you give me, I'm going to hold it. I'm going right to take care of it. And I'm going to I'm actually going to learn from it and then pass it along to someone else. So as an older guy now at this point in my life, it's like I recognize that older people rec- saw that in me when I was young, because I've uh, often wondered, like, why? Did, why were people so nice to me? Why did people make so much space in their lives for me? It's because I fucking paid attention. Word up, you know, and so many young people just like, yeah, do it for me. You know, as opposed to show me how to do it. Right. Yeah. It's a real difference. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the cost of self-imposed ignorance is often unquantifiable in its magnitude. Fuck. Say that again. The cost of self-imposed ignorance is often unquantifiable in its magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been fortunate. I've traveled a lot and... Every time I've gotten ripped off, it's because I was ignorant and not paying attention. Right. You know, because yeah. the the real world, which is not where we are now, we're in Disneyland here. Mm. You know, in the real world, it's uh, it's a world where you are fully present. Yeah. Or you're going to miss out and you might miss a bag that you were carrying because it's somebody yeah. lifted it. You know? Well, that's what we were talking about earlier. Uh, risk. You know, there's real risk out there in the world. And so that sharpens your senses because you're, you're aware of that. If you ignore it, then it, it comes and knocks on your door pretty quickly. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think it's risk... not danger though. No, no. You know, I you mean, know? you can have risk 
without risking your life. So we were talking about the ocean. You, yeah. you were saying the ocean's the last wilderness. Yeah, the ocean is kind of the, like the if last you fuck real up out there. You're in big trouble. Yeah, you're. Yeah. You know, you're, and and therefore, you simplify and distill your life paradigm, physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, to the very things that provide secure pleasure, secure happiness, and secure state of mind. Yeah. Because there's so many variables out there. And so you're making these calculated risks as you're out in that in that space. Yeah. And and you're yeah, you take everything more seriously because uh there's nothing between you. You know, it's like there are no seat belts on a sailboat, you know, there's no yeah. airbags. Like if you sail into a fucking storm like a dumbass. You're feeling it. Yeah. It's on you. It's the ultimate yeah. source of accountability. Yeah. I mean, certainly luck's a factor, but it's not like the domesticator world where luck is such a big factor, yeah. you know, Oh, you just happened to be here at the right time and met the right art director. And, Oh, you just happened to meet the guy mm. at the right, you know, it's like, I, I have a hard time with, um, I, I, I have always had a hard time with things that don't have a certain level of meritocracy to it. Right. And maybe, you know, that's man, that's character flaw. Right. You know, but I've always, <laughs> I've always looked at things like, um, I always uh, work very hard. I'm, uh, work ethic is never an issue for me as an artist and as kind of a journeyer on this planet and, and a, someone who I just really care about meeting people and hearing their story. You know, there's a lot of similarity in some of the stuff you've done. I'm like, man, I, I'm resonating. Yeah. Like, I, like, you know, it's a barbershop quartet here. Everybody's singing in tune. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, our lives are similar in some ways. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you've been to how many countries? 60. Oh, um, uh, Cuba was 67. Six. I haven't counted up how many countries I've been in. I had to count for a job app. Oh, okay. And it was yeah. really like, and you know, but I want to point this out. I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm not wearing a Papua New Guinea penal sheath because I've been to 67 countries, you know, I mean, come on. You're just wearing you know? that for fun. Yeah, it's just like, yay, yeah. this is how I normally dress. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, for me, reality is defined by experience. So therefore, the breadth of my, my experience defines the breadth of my reality because mm. I can't know what I don't know. And so every time I'm expanding my consciousness with a new experience that is maybe antithetical to my actual conscious paradigm, be it historical, cultural, or current, I have the opportunity to expand my consciousness that both provides contrast, dimension, and therefore perspectival understanding right. of what I am experiencing today. Right. But if I live in a silo with confirmation bias and echo chambers, then, you know, why I don't need to be in that room un- unnecessary. Like I'm a big fan of Buckmaster Fuller. Mm. I think Elon Musk is reincarnation of Buckmaster Pretty Fuller. Much. Yeah, there's some similarities. You know? there. I mean, free, they even talk the same. Free thinkers. Oh, fuck, yeah. bro. Yeah. Like, you know, when Elon Musk, he stutters, you know, that's exactly what Buckmaster Fuller did. I'm not saying yeah. stutterers are Buckmaster Fuller. I'm just saying... Yeah. The, the overlap of registration is and Venn diagram levels are yeah. pretty disturbing, yeah. as in good. Yeah. Uh, but I think in the end, as a. <laughs> <laughs> disturbing, as in good. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, but yeah. I mean, as a, you know, I started out as a, as kind of a, my, my background in photography was really more about, I used to be a very serious climber, you know, uh, I didn't. I kind of ventured into sponsorship world. I didn't like that world. And I mm. just focused on doing big walls, 
rock climbing. Yeah, rock climbing, long, you know, like almost like mini expeditions where you're. You're kind of like stock. I mean, you're not stocky. You're tall. What are you, six four or something? Six five. Six five. Uh, used to weigh like about two sixty, but I. That's trimmed heavy down to for two. a rock climber. Isn't yeah, it? but I was doing a different kind of climbing called direct aid. So you're actually putting a piece of gear in a very thin seam of rock. You're standing on that piece of gear, and you're ascending through a standing ascending. process. Ascending, oh, yeah. okay. So it's not, and I, so actually, it's more legs than fingers. Yeah, it's kind of a combination, and it's, it's hyper technical, and it's I'm not I'm not gonna lie, it is one of the most emotionally, the most emotionally demanding headspaces you can be in because, because it's unrelenting. Oh yeah, yeah, it never stops. Huh. There's no, I'm gonna stop here. This is like no, there's five more days of terror. You did five day climbs. I did. Um, I climbed a route on the uh, on El Cap back in the mid '90s called the Zodiac, and an amazing climber put that route up originally solo. His name was Charlie Porter, and he has since uh, left this particular life experience, going on to a different one, whatever did that fall? may be. No, died of age. A little bit of health concerns. Um, wow. Is that, from a climber's perspective, is that a, a victory or a failure to die of, of well, just uh, okay. pedestrian so, bullshit? So I would put it, my, this is my perspective on that in the climbing world, is that real climbing is not a death wish, it's a life wish. Right. Okay. And the point of climbing is not to die. The point of climbing is to live as long as you can, to do as many climbs as you can. Because in the climbing world, not unlike sailing world, and some, for me, it was very similar in the photographic world is that I'm distilling my life down to the bare essential elements by which I can have clarity to my life experience. Mm. I'm not being distracted by mm. the minutia of groupthink, social engineering, right. and the plethora of mythology that is fabricated for the benefit of other people that is the destruction of my personal sovereignty. I'm not willing to be involved in that. Fuck, dude. I got to get you together with Hunter Mutz because you, you both are, you're, you're like the two most articulate people I've met in the last few years. That's only because I'm on like beer two. Pretty soon it's going to degrade. <laughs> so talk fast. <laughs> well, quickly, because, you know, at, at my size, you know, at 245 and uh, six foot five and half Scottish, half Sicilian, I could put beers. beer back like Kool-Aid. Yeah, that's nothing. You'll be fine. We'll, All day. we'll, we'll get through this before you start slurring. <laughs> I, I'll be slurring, but, but you just keep talking. Uh, yeah, so, so I've, I've been rock climbing once. I mean, it was a 30-foot wall or something with horizontal cracks and super easy. It was just a weekend thing. A friend took me. And um, it, that is the last time. That was a long time ago. That was I was living in New York City. Uh, and we went to this famous climbing site north of New York. Um, but uh, let's see. That would have been the mid-'80s. That's the last time I've whimpered. Whimpered. I whimpered. That's beautiful, man. I was so terrified. Good. I got stuck. There was a little overhang. He was strapped. He was like roped in at the overhang to talk me through it. And I got there and it was maybe a ah, foot and a half or something. And my hands, I got my hands up, my, but my feet were still down. And I just couldn't like make that next move. And I felt my arms start to shake and my legs start to shake. And there was some very primitive part of my brain that said, you are about to die. Awesome. And I whimpered. That's awesome. <laughs> I was, I, I solo, I, I climbed this route in, in, like I was saying before, the, the, the Zodiac, it was called the Zodiac, yeah. put up by Charlie Porter. And I soloed it back, I soloed it back in 95. 
and it was really hard back then. It was terrifying. And I remember you soloed it. Yeah. So it's with rope. It's yeah. rope solo because right. you're carrying five. I did it in five, five and a half days. So you got food, food, water. I had a por- thing called portal edge. Yeah. So it's like this cot suspended. So you slept on one of those fucking things. I see those photos. And I'm like, how do you fall asleep? Lying on that thing. Oh, you know, I'm not going to kid you. Like, I get in that thing and I feel like I'm, like, back in the embryonic sack. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. Dude, you are on, like, a little cot that's suspended on the edge of a cliff. You're thousands of feet up. Right. And you've managed to fall asleep. That oh, is like, incredible. I have actually fallen asleep while the stove was cooking my soup. <laughs> From exhaustion. Oh, man. But I wouldn't That's do it if incredible. I didn't get scared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, the safest place in the world is prison. Outside of, like, You're prison right. rape or prison violence, it's safe. No one right. can touch you. Right. You're in a cell. Yeah. Controlled But that's not freedom. Yeah. Right? Like Alan Watts said, you know, life becomes so civilized, it's not worth living. Yeah. Really? Wow. I got to find that quote. That's a good yeah, quote. Yeah, it's like, it's... Uh, yeah, it's either civilized or safe. Uh, Life is so safe, it's not worth living anymore. Yeah. You know, there's the rules and rules and rules. And I think that's yeah. the talk about, like, uh, civilization. I think it's one of his talks that is how civilization is the thing that allows you to function. It's the very thing that, dis- that disempowers you from being your personal self and, and your mm. own level of uh, satori or enlightenment, right. which a lot of Westerners don't understand is, like, not in the movies. It's the moment right. where you realize, that's my hand. I'm actually washing my own arm. Whoa. Yeah. You know, it's like this awareness. Yeah. But I mean, so I got into photography to document my climbing trips. Oh, okay. That's what got me into it. Now, my grandfather was an incredibly gifted photographer, but he was, he was a company man. You know, he's corporate guy. Yeah. But I, you know, and I have a hard time with writing and I have a hard time. My, um, I high levels of recall. And I have a perception of reality that's slightly skewed from other people. I have physical responses to non-physical experiences. Right. So photography became a kind of, in a, I don't want to say it saved my life because that's bullshit. It, it gave me a real place to, to reside. So you've been doing it in a long time. I started about 17 years ago, but I've really, again, kind of done it my own way. And so therefore I, I think the point of art is to be heretical. Mm. Not for the sake of heresy, right? but it, if you feel uncomfortable, the minute you say, oh yeah, that's a good photograph, I should say, well, why? Mm. Why, do you, why are you conforming to somebody else's vision? Mm. I don't know. I, there should be tension. Right. Right. And, and that's, I don't know, that's, that's why I've never been hired in advertising, you know, or hired to photograph for certain companies because, you know, I look at things in very different metaphoric, uh, metaphoric terms, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, because, and I, th- I think it's, it's hard for people to grasp a physical image when they're told so often what to think. Mm. Yeah. What to think, how to, how to, how to see even. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, many. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've looked at, I looked at your, your website, your Tumblr page. That's got a lot of your travel stuff on it. Uh, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I really encourage people to look at that. And you gave me a book today of the nudes. Right. Um, and I, I saw some of those somewhere. Are they on your website? Or is yeah, that so thing? there's a few images on the website that are in the book. Right. I recognize some yeah. of them. And then I have a blog that's this kind of daily single or two image upload of 
my own kind of personal work. Mm. And I've been for a long time exploring the idea of of tension with every you know you know there's just this massive groupthink homogenized cookie cutter idea of uh, the seductive entity of the female form mm. and I'm I'm not saying it's all wrong I'm just saying it's been mutated to the point where we've disempowered the human that's in the, that's in the image it's just become a figurine you know it's like this unhealthy votive figure. Mm. It's a warp votive figure, you know? And so I decided I'm going to do this series of photographs that are about women that are every day, that you see them every day, that are incredibly powerful, yeah, you know, and that have sexual identity, that have equality in the sexual realm. Hello. Yeah. I mean, come on. And I was really honored to do it, even though for me, I had no desire to do a book. I had no desire to... To do, I was doing it as like a meditation because mm. it's hard to do good nudes. Mm. It either becomes a sterile antiseptic recording, which to me is the the epitome of banal, all the way to nothing more than you know patriarchal, subversive, subjugating mm. pornography, pathetic, warped reality of something that is unhealthy and disenfranchising from the human experience of of connection and intimacy. Mm. Right. And that's my, that for me, I was trying to walk that tightrope. And these are women, these, you said they're not professional models. No, these no, are I mean, friends and friends yeah, of friends. <clears throat> I met some of them. Uh, it was a six year project. Huh. So, so I would go, you know, months without photographing. And then I would right. see someone. I'm like, this is going to sound really odd to you. But you, you approach strangers. I have very limited. Yeah. And the major reason why is I, because of my photojournalism before I started doing that, and because most of my photojournalism was done internationally where I was not the native speaker, I always have a high propensity of my approach is who I am. So I'm going to approach this in a way. So therefore I took that skill set from journalism and I approached women in that way. So therefore I took that process and said, it would be very difficult for me to have someone come up to me and say, I'd like to photograph you nude. Right. I would be like, I don't know how I would feel about that, but it certainly wouldn't be like boom bands are playing. Right. <laughs> you know? So I looked for different ways of approaching. Right. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'd say 20% of the people I approached ever followed through. Hmm. And I think yeah. that is just about, I think that's a social convention. Right. Yeah, American women and nudity and men approaching them. I mean, if you, I imagine you had a website so they could go home and look yeah, you everything up. Everything is, it's all transparent. You know, there's guy. no hidden agenda for me. Right. I, you're I've not never, some creepy dude. Like, hey, no, let's yeah. do it now. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, uh, I think I'm too looking to be creepy, but no. <laughs> you're too what? Too good, too good looking to be creepy. Too, no, they're the ones you watch out for. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Right. Yeah. That's almost too good looking. Are you really? So, yeah. You do have a Clark Kent thing going on. Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. I mean, if you can get away with it, go for Superman. Why not? I'm going for the Joker. Uh, that's my... Uh, that's my. I hope. think the Joker is actually the, uh, the way to go. I think the, hum- <laughs> the Jack Nicholson. That's angle. right. That's yeah. right. I, you know, humor is the diffuser. Yeah. You know, you, you disarm people quickly with humor. It's funny, though. I mean, Jack, Jack Nicholson was really good looking when he was young. Have you seen photos of him or films? Yeah. He was, I mean, because I got to know him like post One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, 
Right. And then you go back and you see, and he was all right. He was still a good looking yeah. guy, but you know, he's sort of become a caricature in his older years, you know, with the eyebrows and the, you know, the creepy vibe and all that. But man, you see him younger and he was like fashion model. Gorgeous. That guy. Oh yeah. Oh, true story. Yeah. True story. Yeah. Speaking of Jack, do you know the story of his life? Just l- like loosely, I I'd it, consider myself fairly it's crazy. It's crazy. So I don't think I've told this story on the podcast before, but Jack Nicholson uh, came to, to L.A. to be a writer, not an actor. He was writing screenplays and he wasn't getting any progress, wasn't getting any traction. He shared an apartment with a guy who was an aspiring actor and uh, just like things were going really bad. He was running out of money and his roommate was like, dude, why don't you come to this uh, casting I'm going to today. Maybe you'll get you know an extra or a small role or something. Just make some money. You yeah, know? Coffee, keep, keep your money. Your money. Yeah. 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 So Jack goes and he reads for this part, and the producer said, "Mr. Nicholson, we don't need you for this role, but if we ever need you, we'll need you very badly." Far out, right? And you think about his career. It's like Jack does Jack. That's True. what he does. True. And it's great. It's compelling, but it's not going to be right for every role, obviously. Right. right? But when it's right, fuck, that's exactly that, the guy you want. That's the guy you want. Yeah. Right. So they saw that. It was so prescient. Um, anyway, so he, he ended up getting, he did that cameo in uh, Easy Rider. And I think that was one of his first roles. He played that small role. And then from that, he got a leading role in Five Easy Pieces. You ever seen that film? I have not. Uh, it's a really interesting film. He's he plays a guy who comes from a very artistic family of musicians. Like his father's a famous composer, and his sister's a studio pianist, and and like these very high um, achieving intellectual people. And he rejects it, and he gets a job in an oil field. And he hangs out with all these sort of uneducated rednecks and he's got his uneducated girlfriend. And like he and when the movie begins, you don't know anything about his family. Uh, he's in this world and he just fucking hates the intellectuals, the snobby, the bullshit. Right. And he's trying to live the real life and be a real person. And then his father's dying and he has to go home to visit. And it's about his his trip home and his yeah, how he deals with his buddies and all this. There's an amazing scene in the film where he and his buddy are driving home from work and they're caught in traffic. And I think it's in L.A. or Texas or someplace, but they're caught in traffic and there's a truck in front of them that's transporting a piano. And he's getting really fed up with his buddy and sort of having this crisis. And he gets out of the truck. They're stuck in traffic, gets out of the truck, steps up on the back of this uh, truck in front of them and starts playing a Chopin prelude. On the piano, far out in traffic, and then, and then the traffic opens up, and you see the the truck driving off with him on the back, just playing this far yeah, out. It's really cool. Anyway, long story, but the point of it is, uh, he starts to get famous, and Life magazine commissions a guy, a journalist, to write an article about this new star, Jack Nicholson, and so the guy goes to New Jersey, where he was born, and he looks up his birth records. And he sees on the birth certificate that the name of the mother is Jack's sister. Whoa. Who's 15 years older than him. Turns out 
that's his mother. His, in other words, this 15-year-old girl got pregnant with a guy who was in a circus traveling through town. The parents, like, you're pregnant, you're 15, it's the 1930s, that can't be. You are going to go away. Go away, right. Yeah, that was common. Yeah. Have the baby. We're going to say it's ours. This is your little brother. Right? Far out. Jack didn't know. So the journalist contacts him. He's like 31, 32. Contacts him and says, you know, Mr. Nicholson, I'm doing this article. Do you know this thing about your sister? And Jack had no idea. (laughs) Now... Chinatown. You ever seen Chinatown? Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Remember the story in Chinatown? Yeah. She's my sister. She's my mother. She's my sister. She's my mother. It's the exact same fucking story. Wow, I didn't put those two together. That's amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Very far out. Yeah. Anyway, tangentially speaking. No, I mean, sign me up. I'm up for the strange, man. That is bizarre. That's out there. Yeah. For sure. Like art imitating life. And I mean, what the fuck? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting, too, because that his character always exemplifies something. I think it's that kind of weird. It's kind of that just like that funky part of our own self. Mm -hmm. He kind of shows that characterization of the, the thing we'd like to do. That's well, benign. Well, yeah, and it ties into what you were saying earlier about, like... <laughs> Except for The Shining, but that's another story. Yeah, The Shining. I don't know what's up with that. But, but the, I mean, his character as an actor, right? His persona as an actor is the guy who doesn't give a shit. Right. Right? He's the, he's the, right. He's the wild one. He's the free thinker. He, like, you know, you're talking about why you were climbing is to, like, get away from these mind-forged manacles, right? These, yeah. these culturally imposed impositions and all this bullshit. That don't make life better, by the way. No, of That's course That's the not. thing. Like, I'm totally down. If you're telling me to don't cross the street at high speed, wait for the light, I'm down. Yeah. Like, I will right. resist my impulse to cross when I want to. Right. But other things that people present to me, I'm, I literally look at them and I say, uh, no, thank you. Yeah. I prefer not to. You know that story, Herman Melville? Oh, Melville was way ahead of his time. Yeah, well, the, you know? the Bartleby, or Bartleby Sailor. Bartleby the Scrivener. Oh, man, you know, yeah. just I man without a country. And yeah. just this, yeah. There's a whole era of writing in there that's been lost. That was a great awakening of literature that was yeah. creating constructs and processes to describe emotional states and paradigms that had not been done before. That. I noticed you quote uh, Walt Whitman in one of the books you showed yeah. earlier. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Walt. Yeah, me too. Also, a guy who lived outside the confines of society. Yeah, you know, I think I think the problem is is that it's just it's scary to live on your own. Yeah. And I don't mean on your own, like, oh, well, I'm going to get my own apartment. Right. No, that's not on your own. No. You know, people say, I don't like people. I'm like, come with me to where it's really alone. Well, when you said, you've said this twice today, once since the mics were on, that you, you said something like you experienced the world in a way different from most people. And both yeah. times you said that, <clears throat> in my head, I thought, don't we all? <clears throat> good, good question. I mean, what I would, what I'll try to describe is that for, for me personally, I will have an experience where other people find that completely benign or, and you feel threatened by it or I, I can, 
there are times when people will say, you don't find that offensive? And I have like zero effect. Right. Not zero. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. You're giving credibility to somebody who has no credibility. Oh, okay. Like, no big deal. Uh, I should be. Does it go the other way? Mm-hmm. And then it goes the other out? way where someone will say, someone will do the smallest thing and I have a physiological response like I've been physically attacked. Oh. Or if I go into certain situations, I have physical responses. So if I'm having a pleasurable experience, like this is a really great dinner, my skin is activated. Mm. It feels like someone's stroking my skin with like soft mm. wool, right. chamois, or right. um, when I'm, when I don't like something is very uncomfortable and not comfort. Like, I don't like this. It's, I feel like there are vices on my elbows. Yeah. Like they're crushing my elbows. I'm receiving, I'm receiving pain. I'm receiving physiological feedback or stimulation that is non-cogent to the information received. Well, okay. But if the, I mean, do you, you say non-cogent, but is that non-cogent with the, with the actuality of the situation or is it non-cogent with what? you're told you should be feeling in that situation. Ooh, that's tough. I mean, I can only tell you what I experienced. I might go to an art gallery, like I might walk around the Getty and it feels like I'm moving through like this warm flowering, like drape or something, mm. it, it, you know, and, and, or, uh, cold water, uh, has an emotion. I have an emotional response to cold water. That's like baptism. I always think that I go into cold water. This is baptism. Wow. You know, you and Wim Hof could have some fun together. You know, it's just like bizarre. It's very bizarre. And, and it has helped in the arts when I'm working. The flip side to that is when, you know, the standard model of what a photographer should be providing a client that the reciprocal of that is it's very painful. Because mm. people are like, oh, well, you do this. You, you, you shoot black and white. You also shoot film. And you shoot digital. And you shoot plastic Holga cameras. And you want to do Polaroids. You do nudes. Wait, you do swimwear. Wait, you do also like nonprofit work. And mm. then you do orphan kids. And you did, you know, everybody's so like hyper-specialized. And, mm. and we've seen specialized organisms don't last long. Mm. Dodo bird. <laughs> you know, a lot of specialized species have a hard time. They require that specific organism to survive. Yeah. But you look at organisms that are prolific, that are everywhere, that have had tremendous dynamic capabilities, they're here a long time. Mm. And I think that, that in the process of being hypo-specialized, you, you, you kind of mutate your own consciousness to the point where you're not seeing the forest for the trees. Right. You know? And as an artist, art is a byproduct of life. It's downstream. Art doesn't exist in and of itself. Otherwise, it's just a self-indulgent form of self-stim. So do you see yourself primarily as an artist? I mean, I'd like to, but I don't know. When you define me, you can find me. Mm. So I'm more... uh, Art is a way by which I express a concept, idea, or construct that has no other way for me to express it. Right. Right. So... And you feel compelled to express it. Yeah. And I go through periods where I go into doldrums Mm. and I just accept that. And then when it hits me really hard, then, you know, I, I go with that too. I I let it, I move with that flow. I yin and yang with it. Right. But I also do other things, you know, I've done stuff with startups. I've done things. I'm really into behavioral analysis on high performance. So changing consciousness through the deconstruction of your own personal prejudice, because I had to do that process to get to where I was to express myself in the photographic medium. So let's talk about that, that trip a little bit, because 
the journey because your life from what little I know about it is very much a journey. It's, I mean, you've been in physically so many places, but also psychologically, um, you've been through a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, School, was that hard for you? School was very difficult. Oh, I'd bad. have to say that uh, not only was it difficult, it was depressing. Yeah. I, felt, I, I really, I mean, it was a struggle. You, you for don't me. do well when people are telling you what to do, I imagine. I do if they're telling me things that are make sense. They're useful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Make sure you pull your ripcord at 3,000 feet. Right. I got it. It's <laughs> yeah. like I'm down. Yeah, it's worth paying attention yeah. to. Um, yeah. This is, uh, yeah. you want to put a blindfold on and find your way out of the boat. Uh-huh. I'm, d- I'm down. So, okay, you're in high school where? where, where Florida. Florida. You grew up in Florida. No. No. I've traveled around a lot. Right. Uh, my parents split up when I was young. I was born in Germany. Uh, and they split up back in California. Why Germany? Was your dad in the military? Yeah, he, he got drafted, did right. his time for his crime. Uh, okay. right. <laughs> you know? uh, but uh, he's a fascinating guy. You know, being around that guy is like, whoa, that's like taking accelerants. You mentioned, do you want to talk about him at so, all? Is, is yeah, cool? let's talk. Okay. I mean, I, I I mean it, 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 as long as it's not boring. You no, know? fuck no. I, I just don't want to, I don't want you to feel ambushed because you shared something you, with me earlier. There is no right? ambush for me. Okay. I right. have guns all 360 degrees. All right. And, and also we can edit anything out. <laughs> yeah, I don't so care, anything man. comes up I'm that you're not comfortable. <laughs> but you mentioned to me that you met your dad when you were 29? I met him when I was, tw- I met him when I was younger but didn't really have recall. Yeah. Uh, and then I reconnected through phone and then he invited me to come up and and uh kind of meet the family and i was like i mean i want to couch this too like there was a dark side to his history my mother's side of the family hated him yeah right and he was kind of he was antithetical and and a threat to their anglophile background Mm. you know and i can see why but then again there's more than one flavor yeah. on life, you know? And, and so you grew up hearing all this shit about negative him. shit. And then yeah. I met him and I'll never forget this as long as I live. I met him and I was very, uh, what I would consider emotionally non-grounded. <laughs> I was not grounded. I was off the ground going, what literally what is going on here? Because of that experience? Yeah. Or just, in as, general, it's just, in because, I mean, I basically was like, I've just met this person. I don't know who this person is. And, and I'm not really sure, is this a good idea? I, I was just like the level of confusion and bizarreness yeah. was far out. Yeah. But when I got in the van, there was my uncle, my brother's, my, excuse me, my biological father's younger brother, his four daughters, which are stunning. Had you met your uncle? Before? Nothing. Yeah. And his wife. And then I met my half brother and half sister that were my biological father's kids from his second marriage. And I'm in this van with them. Where literally we're in a van. Yeah. Literally in the van. Like I was like. <laughs> Henry Rollins, shut up and get in the van, you know? Yeah. And so I got in the van and they're talking and I'm, you know, I, I, as I said before, we met, like I wasn't much of a conversationalist until like my mid thirties and right. I kind of came out of it. I was actually a very, I wouldn't call myself like stoically quiet or some like, you know, spectrum based, you know, introvert, but I was not as forthcoming with my own thoughts. And I got in the van and I'll never forget. I went, whoa, I'm not crazy. I'm like fucking them, man. Mm. 
And there was this synergistic genetic communication, timing, uh, language, abbreviation, metaphoric discussionary systems that transcended anything that Skinner could ever explain. And you felt that within... Oh, it was, I would probably put it in like 30 seconds. Seriously? It was amazing. Holy Not only shit. that, but I can talk to any of them in that, what I would call like some kind of genetic language. You're speaking English. Yeah. But you're speaking English in a certain way that right. I can't explain because I'm not a linguist and right. they might just poo-poo. I can only explain what my experience is. Right. Okay, I'm not going to layer that. On and they were else. picking you up at the airport? Yeah, at the airport because then I went and saw my grandfather and grandmother who I really hadn't met. Uh-huh. And then I connected with them. But the, the, the kind of the value in that, I think, was the fact that it explained a lot about my challenge of personal actualization identity on how to therefore navigate this life experience. Even though I've never really felt part of this part of human culture as much as more part of the planet and fascinated by my fellow species, but as the observer, mm. like a participant observer. Yeah. And, but for the good and the bad, yeah. you know, which has had some negative impacts. You know, I, you know, like, when you become a photographer, you don't say you're going to be a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah, you sort of... But I really got into journalism because yeah. I was struggling with a sense of, what can I do? How can I be a part of a solution? Right. Right. And because I really have this... I have a, a kind of a, 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 a personal ethos that I want my life to, at the end, whenever that is, to be the summation of something greater than when I flush the toilet. I'd like to contribute more than I consume. Hmm. Even if that's through sharing my photographic, sharing what I see. Right. Because there are things that I see that I, I, I am stopped in my tracks. Right. I am like, oh my God. And it's not going to be another fucking image of the Taj Mahal, the goddamn other <laughs> crap that people take photographs of. Like I am absolutely blown away by some of the smallest things. I'm like, this is happening right in front of us. Yeah. You know, it's like, there are no ordinary moments. You make them ordinary. Yeah. You said something earlier. I think you're quoting. Who were you quoting? It said, uh, it's a good thing we don't live forever. Oh, Jacques Cousteau Jacques in his Cousteau. biography, The Prince and His Sea. Uh, and um, yeah, it's a good thing we don't live forever for we already take our lives too much for granted. Yeah. Isn't that? That's so Yeah, true. I lost three friends last year. Yeah. And you know, I've always had this opinion. Uh, the movie Papillon, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, that story to me is just like mind blowing. There's a scene in Papillon where Papillon, if you don't know the film, it's this con artist. You know, he's a, he was a drinker, he was a smuggler, he was a, a lady, he was a womanizer. Played by Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman plays uh, the Bond guy in World War One that fraudged, that that defrauded the. Uh, the French government and got all the money. So he got life in prison at the French Guiana. Right. But Papillon was framed. He was a framed man. He uh, was a bad actor, uh, but he was a petty thief. It's yeah. like, it's like, you know, it's like beating up a cat because they, you know, right. killed your hamster. It's like, yeah. well, it's a hamster. It's a cat. I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah. You, know? you know, Dustin Hoffman was the wolf. Really? Uh, I mean, he, you know, that, so who, that character. And who played, was it uh, Steve McQueen? Steve McQueen yeah. played Papillon. So okay. Papillon's busted. He gets thrown into this isolation tank. They really were cruel. Um, 
and he's dying. They're starving him to death. And he has this hallucinogenic dream in his starvation state. And he's, he's in his suit walking up the French Alps. And he's like, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And there's these banister of, you know, the red robes with the funny looking wigs that mm-hmm. they look like their hair and curlers. And they're yeah. like, he's like, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. I was framed, I was framed. And he goes, we, sir, accuse you of a wasted life. Uh. And he turns around. I saw that when I was probably nine years old. I saw it again when I was like 22. And, it, and I said, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I don't want to waste my life. Because you trade your life for money. Period. Yeah. And money is a concept and an idea. And money is important, but it's not the most important thing. And I wanted to contribute something to the earth while I was here on this far out journey, which is really kind of discovery. And it's not a TV show. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking this along these lines recently. Um, you know, I, I had my Twitter handle, uh, my little slogan under my, it was uh, Carpe, D, Carpe fucking DM. Yeah. Right? Awesome. <laughs> By the way, I just love your heretical point of view. It's like, I'm going to add some swear words in here, you, pretend, <laughs> you pretentious right. pricks. You want to ban me? Fucking ban yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, sometime. You're not my fucking audience anyway. <laughs> exactly. Here's your hat. What's your hurry? Exactly. <laughs> you know, but then I was thinking, I, I, I was sort of, you know, lying in bed till noon or something. And I thought, yeah, I don't know. I, I do sort of follow the carpe diem motto, but I'm not like running around trying to, you know, climb every mountain and, and you know, fuck every woman and write well, all these books. But you see, I got to tell you right now, that's scarcity. That's not abundance. Well, see, that's exactly it. It's like I'm anti-ambitious, but I do treasure life. Right. Well, that's, I mean, you know, and I think you're saying the same yeah. thing, like you're saying, I don't want to waste my life, but you're not saying I want to be rich or I want to be famous or you're just saying, I want to fucking pay attention. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you either are present or you're not, there's right. no fucking halfway yeah. newsflash. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, that's it, how it, I feel. It, I pay attention. Yeah, that's that's oh. why it takes me so long to get shit done. Cause I'm too busy. I mean, you and I right now, I'm supposed to be working on this book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tell you, like, I'm uh, again, you know, when you said I'm working on the book and then I listen to a podcast, I'm working on the book. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to cancel, man. And uh, no, I, I brought all this shit up here. And then I'm like, if that guy cancels. I've got his address. <laughs> you do, you I'm half Sicilian address. and I'm half Scottish. I have vendetta that's sharp and mean. <laughs> but no, see, sir, but I wouldn't have done thing. it. Man. I don't cancel. Instead, I, I go and I meet you. You're super cool. We spend a couple hours. Then we're do the podcast. I'm not fuck the book. I'm not going to get the book done, right? But like, I can write the book later. There it is. And, and guess, well, I, I think guess. here's I here, no. I, but later does later ever come? It may. You know, yeah. it may. It it also may when things naturally kind of come to that place, or you there's, you come to a place where you realize that both of your interests are suffering. Yeah. So that's where I check in my, with myself. Like, wait a minute. I can keep doing these nudes or I can try and find a new agent. Yeah. And wh- where, 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 when both start to suffer, I know I have a problem. Yeah. Or when one's not getting enough attention that makes sense. Like, it makes sense. Hello, we can do this. Like, rationally think what makes sense right now. Yeah. And I think that, that again, that, that takes a moment to slow down. It does. It does. And I guess one of the struggles in life, I mean, the beauty of hallucinogens, one of the beauties of hallucinogens is that it, 
you know, it sort of compels you to notice so much. It cuts the chatter. Yeah. It cuts the chat. It cuts the certain, it cuts the time wasting, the distracting chatter, but it allows you to just, you know, just wherever you are, you look down and there's something really interesting there. Yeah. You know, there are the ants, there's the flower, there's the grass, there's whatever. And it's, it's always there, but you miss it most of the time because you're fucking around. So I, I often feel like, you know, the, the purpose of, or the discipline, the sort of psychological discipline that I'm going for is just to pay more attention. Right. I mean, especially if you consider that discipline is to be a disciple of a period of focal study. Hmm. It is not a form of punishment or containment. Hmm. So if we, we pay, if you yeah. put your attention on your intention, you direct your energy. Right. And so therefore, right. remember all of your artifice are downstream of forward process. And so that's why for me, you know, there were like when I've, when I did journalism before I couldn't even pay my cell phone bill doing it, which is like ultimately horrible and so sad. It's like, this is like one of the most important time periods in human history. We need to have really focused photojournalisms, uh, photojournalists out there doing journalism in a way that is unbiased. Yeah. It's like, I'm here. This is what I saw. Yeah. Right. And I'm not, I'm not just going to focus on a particular thing. Like I'm going to show you this, right. like, no, I'm going to show you everything. Cause that's my job. Mm. My job is to provide you information in a visual experience so that you can be part of the, of the human intake of that information. Right. But you can't do that and sell the soap on your channel that you want to sell now. It's impossible. Right. Cause I don't, right. my dove's not going to advertise with a company that shows that. Uh, uh-uh. uh, you know? So have you gone to, to conflict zones? Yeah. Or, I yeah. Mean, I went through the Khyber Pass by myself in 2010. 2010. So serious war happening. Yeah. yeah it was pretty intense up there. Yeah. I was photographing. What'd you do? You went in through Pakistan. I, so, I take it. well, I had an int- interesting situation where I was in, I was, I was in Lahore at the time and I was, started photographing child labor, slave labor. Mm. There's a lot of it there. And that wasn't too pleased to the um, people that didn't like the fact I was doing that. So like carpet shops and that yeah, kind of thing? oh yeah, yeah man. Something I mean, pick it, right? Brake pad manufacturer or oh, you know right. metallurgists or you know we're gonna you know a hundred kids with hacksaws cutting rebar. Yeah. Yeah, and you're not welcome. Oh no, you're no, taking th- photos. You're walking around with a camera, big no, white dude. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. You know, and so the fixer I had, he's a fabulous guy. He's like, we should go to Islamabad. So we went up there, um, and that was interesting. Before I went there, I actually went to the Swat Valley area yeah. during the heaviness there. That was right. phenomenal. Yeah, uh, and then so this is 2010. This this is. Uh, before Osama bin Laden. Yeah. 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 It was, it was during the Karzai elections. Uh, So maybe that was, maybe that was nine. I'd have to look at my journal. I don't, it's nine or 10, maybe sometimes it's a little blurred. So it's really hot to to be there. Yeah, it was. Well, it's hot. And this is after that, uh, the journalist was captured, uh, kidnapped. Uh, I think so. I'm going to, my timeline here, I'm not going to weigh in with any sense of certainty at this point. 
Uh, anyway, so you were so you it was went up more, there. What just for for the images? To, you know, I went up to. Well, you know, I'm I'm thinking all the time. Like, okay, is there a narrative here? Right. Am I missing something? You know, I, I'd rather do an excursionary trip. You know, it's. I mean, it, it, my workflow is not. My workflow is slow. Mm-hmm. I take my time. I'm there for a long period of time. I want to build trust. I want to build rapport. Things don't work out. I was, you know, I, I started a project on orphan children worldwide. You know, I mean, they're a, a population at the time that is exploding. It's bigger than the population of the entire country of Russia. You know, uh, the amount of uh, child labor, child prostitution, hardline crime, manipulative crime for orphan kids, abandoned kids. Um, it's 100% preventable and it's directly correlated with defunct, non-functioning societies and government entities that yeah. abandon their people. And, you know, the truth is that I, I, it really sung it true with me. Here are these incredible kids. They all have potential and they're going to sniff glue. Yeah. You know, so I was, I went to Romania, I went to Moldova, I went to Trinistria, I went to Russia, I went to the Ukraine, I went to uh, Honduras, I was in Haiti, I went to... Um, uh, Afghanistan. I went to Pakistan, Kenya, Uganda. All, all doing this. All orphan, orphan work. Thing. Yeah, and I raised the money. People were generous, and then the crash happened, and the tap turned off. Hmm. And then a lot of things turned off after that. That fall, the economic situation that really went bad. Was so two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. But the you know the ripple effect didn't hit me for like a year to two years. Hmm. You know, I saw the real, the first hit was probably a year later. Mm. Then six months was another big percentage of donor work that was going to my projects. But, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on about that. That might get boring. Yeah. So high school, did you finish high school? Oh yeah. Yeah. I finished high school. I got involved in rowing and that kept me in school. I was an Olympic level rower. Yeah. I really liked it. I ended up getting a scholarship to go to college and row crew. No, I went to a, Smaller college that had a really strong rowing program in, in Central Florida. So rowing, you're talking about... Olympic uh, crew. Olympic crew. Yeah, I right. rowed eights and rowed fours, and I went to the national, junior national team. And, yeah. uh, and I did about a year and a half in college. I got disenfranchised, and I, I dropped out. Yeah. And then I did... Just some, weren't into the stu- what you were studying or Yeah, you know, thing? I just... I really... I, I was a very lost person. Well, you mentioned earlier, and again, I don't want you to feel ambushed, but you mentioned that your relationship with your mother was difficult and your sort of situation at home. Yeah, it was challenging. I mean, my mother has uh, psychological issues and um, my stepdad was a very strong provider, but he also didn't, he didn't really know how to handle me. You know, I was a I was the biggest kid in the class all the time. Right. I was the strongest kid in the class all the time. I was yeah. the most athletic kid in the class all the time. And most of the time in class, I was bored. You're also super high IQ. I don't know if, if they knew that in school. Did they know how smart you were? Uh, probably not. Because the you behavioral know? stuff yeah. might have obscured yeah. that. Yeah, and you know, when you don't have someone mentoring you or guiding you or seeing your challenges as possible it's kind of like, what would you do with a racehorse at a, a donkey show? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't put them in the donkey show. Yeah. You put them on the track. Right. Well, that requires a different group of people, right. you know? And it's a donkey show. They, yeah, it's they, a fucking donkey show. They deal with donkeys. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. but the one size fits all and this homogenization process, yeah. which is just a passive form of eugenicism. 
<laughs> Fucking A, man. You know, I, I talked to, I, I was in a bar one night talking with this guy, and I, I made some joke about people being dumb as sheep. And he said, well, you know, actually, uh, I grew up on a sheep farm. <laughs> I was like, really? He said, sheep aren't dumb. I said, really? He said, no, sheep are smart as fuck. But what happens is, if you're a shepherd, you, you got sheep, as soon as one of them shows its intelligence, you kill it. Oh, right. Oh, hey, right. There, there you go. So that's your connection there. Because he said, what, you've, got a, you've got a smart sheep. He gets his nose under the fence. Kill him. Yeah. Well, don't bark, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah don't, don't call attention to oh, yourself. Oh, no, no. Don't be unusual. Because you're right. I mean, you know, you say it's a form of eugenicism. It's like, yeah, it's homogenization. And, and uh, I, I read a thing the other day. It was really beautiful, actually. I think it was in the Atlantic. It was a, it was a letter from a teacher. And that she was talking about uh, a student she had who was just difficult, like, you know, didn't pay attention, was always late to class, always like challenging her, in, you know, trying to be a smart ass and all this stuff. And she said she had a meeting with his parents and she, you know, their parents were really concerned. And she she had to say to them, like, look, <clears throat> your kid makes my life hell, but your kid's going to have a good life. Because he's questioning everything, and he's smart, and he he refuses to be uh, dominated, right? You know, and so I won't tell you your kid's my best student. I won't tell you he's my favorite student. He's a fucking pain in my ass, but I admire this kid. Right, right. Actually, you know, I it, you bring you know it's interesting you bring that up because I have a distinct memory of going to elementary school for like the first time outside of kindergarten, and. There were all these rules that are basically social engineering. Like, okay, everybody get in line, get behind the person in front of you, and then we're going to go to lunch, we're yeah. going to do all this stuff. And, you know, uh, literally, these kids are having a hard time doing it. And I just, I literally just said, I'm hungry. I just walked out. I've had enough. Like, you guys can't, I mean, what don't you understand? It's like, I got stuff to do. I got to eat. I mean, I'm consuming 100% more calories than the next kid, uh -huh. right? And, right. I mean, that's just like the story of my life in some ways. I'm like, come on, get it together. Yeah. Come on, you know. Yeah. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that I've, I've you know, I discovered Zazen at 19. Hmm. You know, I read Sun Tzu's Art of War, which is really about economics right. and, and about tolerance. Hmm. You know, the, the, what the, <laughs> if you haven't read the Sun Tzu Art of War, you got to read it and you got to read it backwards. Hmm. Read chapter 13 first. Hmm. And the story, read that and the story of the three physicians. Hmm. The story of the three physicians is really key. Okay. And I think everybody in the Pentagon should read the story of the three physicians. I think I've read excerpts of it. I don't think I've ever sat down and read the book. There's a lot. There's some translational issues because you're also dealing with Chinese mythology. You're dealing with Chinese cultural uh, right. paradigms. You're trying to remap into a language that we have now, which is basically like ones and zeros. Right. You know, because you talk to a linguist, you know, like, or just, like language was a way of you language was feelings language yeah. is colors and you know and now mm. it's just like you take route five and you'll end up in the promised land you know it's not like that it's, we're supposed to be emotional hello and so but chapter 13 is about yeah. you foil your enemy's plans yeah and then you don't have to do any of that stuff right all the rest of that stuff and because sun tzu is really like 
you're going to waste all this money and you're still going to have the same problem. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's going to be necessary. You know, it just is. Yeah. And uh, our species hasn't gotten that far yet. Mm. What you know? conflict you're talking about? Yeah, indeed. When you, right? get, when you get into the exertion of violence to the taking of other, of the, of other lives, you know, that because I've been in situations like that and I've seen people killed, you know, and I'm like, that should be the last resort. It shouldn't be the only resort, but it should be the last resort and it should be an option as one of the resorts, I think. But that's a personal opinion. Other people may disagree. And I think you can argue for both sides, right? You know, and I think that's what, that's what for me, the life experience and, and, in my life journey and, and moving through this consciousness is, is trying to be careful of my own desire to become my own like pseudo crypto fascist where I am, you know, I'd say I'd rather have a mind open by wonder than closed by belief. It's mm, a good saying. Yeah. You know, Jerry Spence, by the way, who's that famous trial attorney. Oh yeah. His book, he wrote a book called how to argue and win Jerry. If you're listening, bad title. <laughs> I don't think Jerry's listening. He's not listening. But I'm here to tell you though, his his presentation. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, come on, man. But no, but there's stuff in there like how to just I mean, argue with your spouse, how to argue with your kids, how to argue with mm. employers in a way that's healthy so it ends up being mm. a win win, you know? You ever read uh Finite and Infinite Games? No. All right. I'm, I'm actually, ladies and gentlemen, I'm standing up. I, <laughs> this is where we need the, the video component. Uh, I'm giving you that book right now. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's very, as you can see, it's very small, very brief, easy read. Basically, the idea is that uh, human interactions uh, can be broken down into two basic categories, uh, and they're both games. One is a game where the purpose is to win. And so, like most sports, the purpose is to win. Uh, you, you know, there's a, a set amount of time. There's a limited field of play. There are specific rules that are um, very structural and, and fixed. And so that's one kind of game. The other kind of game, that's a finite game. The other kind of game, the infinite game, there's no field of play. It can go out of, you know, wherever. There's no boundaries. Rules are kind of flexible and they can get changed as the game progresses. Uh, and the purpose of the game is not to win, it's to continue play. That's an infinite game. Interesting. So, a lot of our problems come down to confusing what kind of game we're engaged in. So you reminded me of it just now when you said, like, you know, this this book talks about how to argue with your spouse, how to argue with, you know... And the thing is, when we argue with our, our partner, we argue with a friend, we make the mistake generally of thinking we're in a finite game where the point is to win, where it isn't. The point of a friendship or a relationship is to keep playing. Right. Well, you know, like Khalil Gibran said in The Prophet, there is no purpose in friendship save the deepening of the spirit. Hmm. Right. Yeah. I would, I would be willing to weigh in on this game idea, if you don't mind. Sure. What if, what if there's a piece inside the finite game that is infinite? Hmm. Like, almost like in the way of the Bushido, or the way of the warrior, which is, you know, and I'll, I'll use rowing as an example because it's, it's very simple 
first boat across the line wins the race, but that doesn't make them a winner. Mm. That means they won that race. Right. It's right. what the, it's the interior experience that has real value in athletics. Yeah. Now, when you want to monetize that and make that into entertainment and take athletes and make them into like some form of higher being, mm. which is like, to me, dark comedy, mm. <laughs> then you are playing a highly finite and in some ways toxic experience mm. because even the winners end up being losers because then they got to play again. Right. So there is, the, so it's, yeah. it's like no win is ever how's the rabbit wheel win. working for it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You know, maybe we should put it a generator and get some power out of that yeah. effort. Right. Yeah. So, so climbing as a, as a flip art. it around. Yeah. Like who's the best climber? Who, yeah. Who cares? It doesn't, who, who's, who it's is the best climber? It's a nonsensical question. Exactly. Right? But the, I tell you who the best climber is and Alex Lowe, again, that's his quote. Who's ever having the most fun? Right. Because it's a self-centered, selfish act that benefits nobody but the, but the person participating right. in it. Right. It's often physically demanding, dangerous at times, yeah. and suffering. Why and, would and you do that? you're only the, competing against yourself. Yeah, it's like, oh, I did the hardest climb. No, I think the guy missing a leg and half a lung <laughs> that goes up near is having the hardest climb. Yeah. Sorry, Meru is not. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I did Everest without oxygen. Yeah. And now what? Yeah. But unless you flip that around and say, this physiological experience that I'm doing is downstream of an interior spiritual physiological mm. right. cauldron. It's yeah. like a cauldron like this. Do you know Wim Hof? I no. mentioned him earlier. Okay. He's been on this podcast a couple times. He is a guy. You, you would really like him. He's Dutch. Uh, I love the Dutch, especially after they did all their bad stuff in the East. Yeah, no, he's a modern Dutch, not a colonial <laughs> Dutch. That's um, a joke, by the way. You know. But he um, he climbed Mount Everest in shorts. He's run marathons in the Arctic Circle in shorts and shirtless, barefoot as well. He uh, ran a marathon in the Kalahari uh, with no water. He's he's this like insane guy, but he doesn't do it. Out of ego. That's amazing. He does it. As you just described, it's an internal state. I asked him, I was like, so how do you train for this stuff? He's like, oh, no training. Like, what do you right. mean no training for a marathon, you motherfucker? He's like, no, no, no training. Anyway, he's very, he's got, got all these Guinness records for immersion in cold water. Oh, yeah. He swims under icebergs. You know, he sits in ice water for two hours. Is that? Did they call him the Ice Man? Yeah, he's the Ice Man. Yeah, that's amazing. Like his story on how, if I if I'm correct in, in I'm connecting what you're connecting, that's the man whose wife died. That's right, man. That guy's amazing. And that's it. And th that's why you said, you know, why I mentioned him. You said this physiological experience you're having is downstream of a spiritual. Absolutely. That's Dude, Wim Hof. Your your artifice of your life is downstream of an interior dialogue. So check yourself before you right. wreck yourself. Well, it's like, it's like what's happening out there is the projection of a dream almost. Hey, howdy. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely. So pick the dream you want to have. Right. You know, and that's going to come at a cost, right? It's going to cost you. You're not going to get some other comforts. You're not going to get some other adulation accolades. Well, or it might, could be yeah. the other way around. And it could be this, everything works out. I mean, it'll cost you the other dreams. Yeah. Because well, you yeah. can only have your one dream. Yeah. But that's know? one of the reasons what I love about the planet being so large. You can't go to everywhere. Because if I, if I ran out of places to go, I might just like 
end it. Yeah. Because there's no purpose. Like yeah. we're not, we're not hurting for population. That's we're yeah. Right. We've got we're a population issue. Population. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, all it, it, that's one of the problems that I have, uh, with so much of the art I see and my challenges, I, I like to be supportive, but I don't want to be a liar, mm. you know? And so, you know, I've had people come to me and have me look at their work and it's like, I don't want to piss on somebody, but I'm like, do not give up your day job mm. because I don't even have, I'm not even doing well. Yeah. You know, the world of photographic arts has become democratized, thus homogenized and marginalized. You mm. know, it's so hard. It, I, I got on Tumblr and you know, everybody has this feeling like Tumblr's full of porn and it is. So if you want to get your fix, you can go there and save some money. But there's some incredible curators that put stuff up there. Mm. Like there's a whole world of analog photography. There's a whole world of artists you've never discovered or heard of because yeah. we've been just, oh, well, it's only Rembrandt and Matisse and mm. Picasso. And, you know, there's tons of people out there. Yeah. And it's like I look back at this stuff that's old. Ooh. Yes. So what? Good's Mm. good, man. Yeah. You know, and I look at this and I'm like, this is the benchmark, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I've asked people, do you know who Henri Cartier-Bresson is? Have you heard of James Knockway? You know, they they don't know these people and they're in the photographic art field or art directors. I'm like, they're in the photographic art field. Fuck yeah. Listen, the magnitude of ignorance is absolutely mind blowing to Mm. me. Or you can ask some photographers, well... Dorothea Lange. What about Dorothea Lange? Yeah. You know, I mean, the list goes oh, on. Galen Rowe, we talked about earlier. A I, phenomenal guy. I love his work. Yeah. I, oh, I, you I know, met he, him. I met him. And to your point, I met him... Uh, well, I told you I, I did that class with him in New York. Right? Yeah. And then <laughs> That's year, a great story. And then years later, uh, I was working in San Francisco, and I saw in the paper that he was going to be signing books at a Barnes and Noble downtown San Francisco, not far from my office. So lunch hour, I walk down and I figure it's going to be a big line and whatever. He won't remember me, but you know, whatever. I would. I go into this place. He's sitting at a table alone in the back of this bookstore. There's nobody there. Yeah, this is Galen Rowell yeah. in San Francisco. And for people who don't know, Galen Rowell, like after Ansel Adams is probably the greatest mountain photographer. Yeah, uh, I would put he's in he's definitely well, he's shot in color. Yeah. Right. So Kodachrome sixty four. You betcha, baby. Yeah. And he along with um Art Wolf. Oh, Art Wolf. Now Art great. Wolf really focused specifically like on animals, animals. Yeah. and more yeah. of the like flower aspect. Yeah. Whereas Giller was more focused on the adventure of the mountains. Yeah. And what that looks yeah. like. You know? Yeah. And there was another photographer. And he in was a world-class mountain climber as well. Oh, yeah. He could hold his own. Yeah. He could hold his own. He was a tough guy. I had, yeah. I was part of the American Alpine Club back in the 90s. And mm. I sat down next to, I sat between Yvonne Chouinard and Gilles at this in Oakland, California, I think it was, just having beers. And I'm like... This wow. is uh, pretty far out. But I've never deified people. Yeah. You but know, Galen Roll is about half your size. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm like a <laughs> he's hairless. He's a tough motherfucker. I'm, a, he's I'm a, a hairless yeti. You know, I mean, let's be serious. I'm, I, it took a long time to become this civil Do you know that there are women who like have, there's, there's erotic porn about yeti? Doesn't so, surprise me. I was just talking to a woman about this the I other think day. that that's as, that's as bizarre as the vaginal kicking that the Russians are doing. 
Vaginal kicking. Yeah, the, the two Russian women will be naked and they'll kick each other one at a time in the vagina. What? True story. I have, a, I have a friend I just had dinner with her the other night who's a dominatrix who specializes in kicking men in their balls. Wow. That's her, that's her specialization. But Are they like not... all Shaolin monks or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that it's a discipline, right? I mean, the footwear is important. And you have to kick them hard enough to hurt them, but not hard enough to send them to the hospital, I guess. I, you I, know, it's, hey. it's all foreign to me. But I hadn't heard about this vaginal kicking. Yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah. So it's like mud wrestling taken to another level. I, it, it, and leave it to the fucking Russians. Jesus. Russians scare me, I gotta say. I'm scared of Russians. I mean, if you had to eat that food, you'd be scary too. I, I, I have a Russian friend. He made dinner for me one night, me and my wife. And it was one of those situations where you're just going to be like, oh, this is great. Thank you so much. He made this very elaborate dinner. It was horrible. Everything about it was horrible. And, and there was so much vodka. Oh, yeah, I don't man. like vodka. I don't want to drink. Give me a vodka tonic on a hot day. Fine. But not shots of fucking vodka. They drink vodka like it's iced tea. Fish and yeah, oh God, it was just one thing was more disgusting than the next. <laughs> really <laughs> sweet guy, grim and barren. <laughs> really sweet guy. Uh, I mean, you can measure how much I like that guy by how much of that shit I ate. I'll tell you. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, my, when I was in Pakistan, my fixer says I want to take you to a really elite place, uh-huh. and it was lamb's brain. Oh yeah, and I got news for you, like. <laughs> I, I have a very a developed palate. I cook. I cook gourmet food. I love it. Oh, yeah. I'm a subscriber to Cooks Good. Illustrated. You're, you're cooking dinner when this is over. Watch out, you All know. Right. <laughs> uh, and I am kind of a, a kitchen Nazi, man. I'm uh-huh. like, anyway, I could only eat half. Yeah. And I just went, I'm full. And I was starving to Neocortex death. or uh, did you? I'm not going to lie to you, brother. <laughs> not, not studying the brain like you. Uh-huh. It was brain matter in, in like brain. a milky soup. Oh. So it was like non-bread that was pretty bad. Uh, and I just, I'm full and we laughed and I was scared to be there anyway. There was only one way in or one way out of the restaurant. That's and I was good. the only white guy there. Yeah. Even though I was in traditional dress, I had a beard at that time. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, yeah. I was, I felt safer in Afghanistan. Uh, as ethno-European that I did in Pakistan. Yeah. Because when I went to Afghanistan, I was like, holy shit, man, there's like everybody here. It's like yeah. races from everywhere. You know, there's like a, yeah. a Russian, basically a Russian, a Russian Afghani sold me a rug and it specifically bought a rug that was made by machine. Because if it's handmade, it's made by some slave Kids. kid yeah. who's high on heroin, who's addicted. Also getting sexually abused. There's a lot of that dancing. Uh, stuff. Going yeah. On. You betcha there yeah. is. Yeah. And just like that whole region. It's so of, fucked up. Man. Dude, it's so antiquated and backward. And I actually was really sad because I had heard stories about what that region was like in like the late 60s. The hippie trail. It was like the most accommodating place, welcoming, wonderful people. Yeah, yeah. Afghanistan I mean, I, was I mean, Afghanistan, my, I, the fixer I had, he took me out to his dad's and then he took me to his grandfather's and I had, you know, it was all really cool and they mm. weren't as like bizarre with their family and, but you know, other places I've been in the Middle East, it's just like, it's almost like H.G. Wells, I'm in a time machine. Yeah. I've gone back, you know? Yeah. So, okay, like, I don't, I don't want to get all, like, very structural and narrative and all that, but we, we were in high school. Is there something crawling across my floor? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you have a visitor. 
I have spiders. Well, he looks benign. Yeah, it doesn't look like any... Uh, I was just saying, if it's a black widow, because they, they do proliferate in this region. Do they? Oh, man. Really? Oh, no joke. They have a little red spot on them, right? That's yeah, you don't see it, though. You, oh, know, you, you don't gotta see look it? at it. They're on the belly. And they're little, so, right? They're small. No, the bodies will get pretty large, like a lima bean. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. when they're full grown. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Fuck, I gotta be careful. Because a lot of spiders come in under the door. There's a gap under the yeah, door. Yeah, so you just right get in. some Promethean from like the, uh, the stores down here that have, uh, this is great for a podcast. Yeah. Here you can go. How to be an arach- arachnoid uh, <laughs> treatment. So uh, you go down to the horse supply centers, which I want to point this out. The listeners need to know where you are. Mm-hmm. This is amazing because we go through these beautiful homes in these great canyons, which I think is amazing. And there's, this home's got to be like $5 million where we went by when I was following you here. Mm-hmm. And, on the, on, and then on the leeward side of this hill, below them is a horse stable. Yeah. And I'm thinking... That's awesome. For nine months of the year when the, wind, the trade winds are blowing, <laughs> all you like, smell is horse shit. Yeah. It's great. Got a $3 million home. And you get to smell horse shit the whole yeah. time. That's not yours. But they, Oh, it, it wasn't somebody their horses? else's. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I mean, could you imagine if you had manure coming? Set up a fan coming? system or something? <laughs> There's no amount of patchouli oil and, and patchouli. incense that's going to cover that, man. There's not a chance. Uh, patchouli and horse shit. Uh... Okay, you, you. so after high school, you said you got into photography in your 30s, and you were climbing when? Well, I started, you know, so here's the deal. So you're I start, in the military. I want to get to the military. Yeah, yeah, thing. so I did, some time, I did some time in the military. I wanted to serve. I was really missing direction. You went straight out of high school to the military? No, no, no. I did college for a while. And then I said, oh, that's right. I'm going to go to the military. I'm going to join. And I did this, like, it was just like three days into the military, I went, Man, I made a bad decision. This really? was not a good idea. I like I don't fit here. So like, no, it's not hard. So you signed it, up for it, what? It, it wasn't. I wasn't. It wasn't like it wasn't hard. Uh-huh. It wasn't. It wasn't like the reason why you wanted to leave. Right. Like like everybody else would think. It was like, dude, I don't belong here. And not like, oh, this is hard and scary. No, no it was just like, this is not my paradigm. This is not my, like, this yeah. is not my calling. I, you're I, such a free thinker. Yeah, and and I was even then, you know. And I had this, I had this weird per- perspective that. You know, and I studied a little bit about like military history and it's like the people that made the difference in military history were not conformists. They were, yeah. they were heretical. Which is bizarre because the environment is so, you know, unforgiving of, of Yeah, I, you know, I, again, it, it's, a, it's a mixed bag and some people wouldn't understand it. You know, in some ways, I think corporate America is much more oppressive than the military. Hmm. You know, and I can speak because I was in both. Right. So there. Right. You want another beer? Sure. We're going to pause for a moment while I go get another beer. All right. I got, I got his beers. <laughs> and, and Don just went on in this crazy rant, this fantastic rant that should have been preserved for posterity. Hey, you're lucky. You know, I can do it again. <laughs> We're talking about cannabis. And, uh, well, you know, I've been listening and, to the recent... proceeding with caution. The, the, and, the, the, the recent... Oh, I listened to the recent uh, talk that you had given, uh, the, you, the interview you gave with the guy on uh, cannabis uh, who's like in Turkey and he's studying cannabis. Oh, that, so, okay, Robert Clark. Yeah, you know what right, I liked about okay. him was, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I have a lot of respect for him because he has a lot of experience and he's... I, I respect men and women who do not give up their power 
by, and what I mean by not giving up the Harvard, like, no, listen, I've been studying this for 25 years. Let me tell you what I know. Yeah. And if you come in with a response you know, and they say, I can't weigh in on that. I don't know. Yeah. You, 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 right now you have ascended to me in terms of respect because no one yeah. of us knows as much as all of us. Right. 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 And this, I know everything, yeah. not good. Not yeah. interested, yeah. and all the rest of that silly shit yeah. that we're dealing humility. with. Right now. Humility, humility right? is you know, so integral to intelligence. And you know what else, too? Boy, if you have a fragile ego, humility is a good thing. Yeah. Because guess what? You're off the hook. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I went snowboarding in New Zealand for a month and a half with my best, best friend Darren and. and uh, Hello to Darren again. Thanks for buying me the van. It's a good narrative. Oh, same Darren. Darren, Sam, Darren, brother. He's yeah, my spirit brother. Everybody man. needs we, a Darren. We've shared previous lives together, no doubt about That's it. That's great. Yeah, we can talk. We we can talk without talking. How old were you when you met Darren? Junior high. Oh, really? We have that climbed together. We I did most of my big wall climbing with him, and we would go like eight hours, maybe say like five words, and and then yeah. get in the bivy and just look each other and go. Man, it's good to be here with you. Yeah. And that's it. Like, yeah. And then we're just immersed. True friendship comes when silence is comfortable between two people. And the ability to be so raging pissed you want to knock him out and still love him. Mm. Because that's part of being human. Yeah. You know, you know, like the Dalai Lama said in his book, Beyond Dogma, you know, like, hey, anger's part of life. It's, that's not the issue. You don't, or Jack Cornfield. You know, there's another one. Uh, what are you going to be emotionally castrated so you cannot be angry? Come on. Yeah, I, I want to. I want to knock Jack Cornfield out uh, or the Dalai Lama. I'm going to kick his ass, man. Do it. <laughs> you know what they say, right? If you encounter the Buddha, yeah, kill him. Kill him. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, I think the deification of anybody is dangerous because yeah. you give away your personal potential. Yeah. Yeah. I'm never. I. You know. I, I have some photographers I really respect. Yeah. You know, really highly. Mm. You know, Sagato. We were talking about him. Yeah. I really do. But I never look at Sagato as comparison of me. Right. Comparison is the root of all suffering. Yeah. Be inspired. And it's nonsense. Anyway. Fuck yeah! It's like it's photographs. Yeah. It's like well, I'm. Uh, I have the board. You know. I, I, I'm yeah. going to lose my mind. But back on the cannabis thing, <clears throat> I'm just very careful about cannabis or any substance to say that it's the silver bullet that's going to kill yeah. the demon within me or what have yeah. you. Because yeah. stories, testimonials, and anecdotes are not scientific evidence. So just because it worked for you doesn't mean it works for me. Right. Right. And that's the truth. And so because we're all kind of this different type of organism and pharmacology as an industry is more about replicating results based on statistical probability. What gets back to that sort of mass production model of education, right? Like, right. It's like the thing about cannabis and, and the, the conundrum that the pharmacological companies are facing now is that, as you say, it, it's so individual. The different plants have different, different symphonies of molecules in them. And so there's no I, I went to this workshop in uh, Spain um, when they were talking about uh, medicalizing cannabis and it was for doctors. I have all these friends there who are doctors and they invited me to go because they knew that I knew about cannabis. So I'm in this thing and they're talking about cannabis can be used for treating this and cannabis does this and cannabis does that. And I raised my hand in the question thing and I said, like, um, to what extent are we talking about sativa versus indica? And the expert was like, what? What do you mean? I said, well, you know, the, the, the chemical composition of a sativa is very different from an indica. The indica is more sort of a down energy and, you know, a leth induces lethargy and sativa is more of a high energy. And I had no idea. 
No far idea. Wow. And it's like, okay, come on. That's the simplest, simplest distinguish, you know, to distinguish between indica and sativa. And they're talking about it as if it's one thing because that's what they want to do. They want to just reduce it to this one <clears throat> predictable pill somehow. And that's not how it works. And it doesn't work that way on the patient side either. We're all different. We're in different moments and different times of our lives. And Hormonal. Men and women, they do all this research on men and then they apply it to women. That makes about as much sense yeah. as rubber crutches. <laughs> I like the idea of rubber crutches. Fuck. You can bounce along. You can just bounce along. Actually, I got that from my, my biological father who was requested <laughs> to give counseling to heroin addicts while they're still high. Uh-huh. I mean, get, yeah, you got some sticking power with your therapy there. <laughs> While they're hot. Yeah, come on. That's rough. You know? That's rough. You got a captive audience, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I did a photo project of homeless veterans, yeah. and most of them were addicts. Yeah. And that was a trippy experience. That's unpublished. It's sad, you know? I mean, this was just before the flood of veterans. You know? That's some heady, that's some heady stuff. Yeah. Heady stuff, those poor guys. A buddy of mine wrote a book about... Uh, families in America living in their cars. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, whoa, it's whoa. It's published now. He's a cool guy. You would like him. Richard Schweig. He's written, he's probably published, I don't know, 10 books probably. Um, but like you, he's just driven by his curiosity. He's not thinking commercially. Yeah. And he just gets a bug up his ass and he goes and researches it and writes a book and... So he's got a book about chili peppers. He's got a book about old cars in Cuba. It's called uh, Che's Oldsmobile or, or something like that. Uh, Fidel's Oldsmobile and Che's. Well, they're all like protected. You know, they, they can't leave the island. Yeah. And, and most of them don't. And they have can't it. get new ones, so they fix them. Yeah, and they usually don't have gasoline engines. They have um, Mercedes 300Ds. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I haven't read that book. I've got it somewhere. But uh, he's got another book about eels. Eels? A, yeah. Get the hell eels out of here. Eels are super fascinating. Far out, So man. interesting. A uh, book about cockroaches. A book about how different cultures around the world view life after death. Or, or just not life after death, just what happens after death. Right. It's called The Hereafter. Beautiful book. His mother died while he was writing it. And he, in the book, he breaks the narrative and says at this point my mother died and he sort of like it intrudes on the book it's really it's amazing you know i just this is something that's so key people like that are very courageous yeah they're what i call a true spirit warrior yeah yeah he doesn't give a fuck man he just does what he's interested in and he's never sold more than ten thousand books i don't think well you know what's interesting too is you know I have never had the predisposition to the commercialization of anything I've done. Yeah. I, you know, well, if anybody out here listening I mean, does and they want to help you're me, I'm driven here. driven toward things that excite your compassion, obviously. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I look at it this way. I have a debt to people that have helped me and I hope I can repay it because there have been situations, I, I was coming back from Afghanistan my flight was screwed up. I was, had no money. And some woman behind me paid for the rest of my ticket. Really? I've never seen her again. That's cool. Then I tried to get her money. I was going to wire her money. And I never heard back from her. 
right? I, I, I could go on, yeah. you know, and that's the reason why I host couch surfing. Right. You never know. Yeah. This, you need a hand. I'm here for you. Right. Right. And I, the, I feel the same way. I, I mean, anyone who's really traveled has been helped by so many people. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, this, this arrogance level of, I, I don't want to get into it cause it just gets me really pissed and I don't want to be mad, but there's no need for it. Yeah. It, it, I'd rather be happy. It takes less work. Well, it's not, there's not, it's not just that there's no need for it. Yeah, and I, I, I talk about this in terms of wealth a lot. It's, it hurts to be uh, arrogant. Oh, it hurts to be wealthy. Yeah, it's like, whoa, you know. It, yeah, hurt, like, it hurts to not, I mean, it hurts to be separate. It hurts to be disconnected. And the problem is that we live in this society that is, you know, encouraging us to do things that are antithetical to our own happiness. You know, gated communities, I really want to get an oxycetylene torch and close it to keep them in. <laughs> See, I think what we need, you know, the yippies. Because it's not like they're doing much. Do you remember the yippies? No. Abby no. Hoffman. Andy Hoffman. A- a- not Andy. Oh. Abby. No, no. Abby. Well, although Andy Hoffman's very similar. So <laughs> Abby, Abby Hoffman and the Yippies were a movement in the 60s. They were basically performance artists who did things to call attention to the absurdity of capitalism and American life and all that. Much like Andy Kaufman, right? right? I mean, that was his style of humor, was to make people laugh by making them uncomfortable, by sort of calling attention to how absurd everything was. But what, one of the best things Abby Hoff, well, he wrote a book called Steal This Book. You know, that's pretty cool. Uh, he, uh, with the, the, my favorite thing that the Yippies did was they went to the New York Stock Exchange. This is like 1967, I think. And at that point, it, you could go up in the, the gallery above the exchange and you right. could see them all down there on the floor screaming and yelling and scurrying around like running rats. to a stroke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> running toward their demise. And they went up there, they dressed up in, in suits and ties and briefcases and all that. And they had in their briefcases, they, they were full of $1 bills and they went up into the gallery during the trading session and they opened their briefcases and rained $1 bills down onto the New York Stock Exchange. And the traders on the floor who were trading millions of dollars you know, per minute, all this money comes raining down on them. And they went crazy and started scrambling around, you know, clawing at each other. For ones. To, for ones. Exactly. You know, I was, they shut down the exchange. They shut it down. It's so fascinating to me. Uh, just, you know, in, in your experiences and, and, and what you've been doing. I live near this, you know, I live in San Diego. Mm. And I'm, I, get a, I have a membership at the zoo. And mm. zoos, are, zoos are a 50-50 for me. Right? They, they like, suck, but that one is pretty yeah, cool. Because I've seen some bonobos in there, too. Yeah, and everybody has an opinion about a zoo. Yeah. It, it's usually individual that debate I'm unqualified to weigh in on. Yeah. Right. But I watched them feed these particular types of, of really cool monkeys that are in South America that hang out with these, these like Amazon otters or something. They're like a co-community. And so they're feeding them. Right. And this little teeny monkey has got a lot of food. 
Like I, like I'm looking at what he's carrying and I'm like, I don't know if his stomach can actually contain what he's got in his hands. Right. And there's a branch that goes from the ground and it goes up. And then there's like kind of those weird connection branches that they have like their little community in. So he's trying to get up this primary branch, which is about the size of like a fence post. Mm. And he's a monkey that, you know, that's like a pretty big thing. Right. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is he has, his hands are full, but then there's one more piece of food at the bottom. And so he goes down and grabs, he goes up and another one will fall out. So he's just sitting in this cycle of going back and forth and back and forth. He has too much to eat in his hands already. And he's freaking out and screaming because he can't get the last piece. Yeah. And I thought that is me. Yeah. That's where you go to the bosom, the bosom, the, (laughs) like I said, when you go into the Buddhist point of view, that is the monkey mind. Yeah. That is the, if only mind, if only I had, then I'd be happy. Right. If only, if only. And, and sometimes that's true. Yeah. If only I wasn't living in my car, I'd probably be able to get a better job Yeah. or all that. No doubt. Yeah. But I don't participate in Western Christmas, not because of religious belief, but there's nobody I know that's wanting. Yeah. <laughs> really? You know, like yeah. for, for Christmas and I, uh, with my, with my wife, how about a, can I make you a mimosa? Right. Because I don't yeah. believe in one particular day. I believe in every fucking day. Right. I'm that way too. I, I don't give people gifts on their birthday. Mother's day. Fuck mother's day. Fuck father's day. Uh, fuck Christmas. If I see something and it, I think of you, like you could really use that thing, you'd really like that thing, I'll buy it for you and I'll give it to you, but I don't give a fuck what day it is. And the, well, the thing is, you're being authentic. Yeah. Because if you get something for somebody on Father's Day, that's disingenuous. It's it's because bullshit. when you have something yeah. that's, when you expect somebody to do something for you, yeah. first off, you've given up your power. Yeah. And you've given all their power to them. So therefore, when they don't perform according to your preconceived notion of reality, you then become self-imposed victim. Yeah. And then you persecute them. Yeah. yeah that's a great way to get closer to those you love. <laughs> all right. So anyway, we were, we were okay, I, I want to know more about rock climbing. Uh, I want to know more about what it's like to sleep on a fucking cot stuck to the side of a cliff. I'm, but you need to interview like like Jimmy Chin, <laughs> the guy who was on Meru. Oh, he's fantastic. You know, he's a great ph- photographer. Or or a Conrad Anchor. I've known Conrad need, no, for I don't a need to interview that. I, you've done it. You're, dude, you're good they're, enough, But dude. they're like you're the messiahs enough. and they lead the yeah, way. And the rest but you're of that. here and you got a beer in your hand. So, what, so, okay, you're halfway up fucking El Capitan. Yeah. You're soloing. You did it solo? Yeah, roped. So I'm, I'm attached into a safety system that should have fall. Did you fall? I did not. I did not. Huh. Yeah. And if you fell, how far would you fall? It would depend on the route I'm on. Right. How the gear held and the distance of the amount of rope that is out. Because the rope is designed to stretch yeah. to what's called dissipate uh, the load the, the total dynamic load placed on the individual pieces of equipment that are going to protect your fall. Right. Because if it doesn't stretch, it'll... Snap. Right. Like, so, you would... You, yeah. It would be better to, to land on a rubber band than a steel cable. Yeah. Even though one is stronger, one might actually be stronger. Right. Against the, you know, right. sheer tinsel strength. Right. So. Yeah. 
man, that that's. I mean, I've done a lot of camping and whatever. And my like for me, mountains. I love mountains. I love being in the mountains. I have a buddy, Marcos, in Spain. He and I have have gone. I don't know, dozens of times to the mountains and he always goes to the top and I'll go with him and we'll be like hiking up and he's a fucking mountain goat, that guy. And we'll, we'll get to a point where there's like a beautiful waterfall and a really nice view. And I'll be like, Marcos, I'll be here. (laughs) This is where I'll be on your way back down, brother. And I'll hang out for the afternoon. I'll set up a hammock. I'll drink some wine, have a sandwich, read a book. I I, I just want to be in the mountains. I don't need to be at the top of the mountain. There it is. Yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah. My, yeah. Actually, you have to be in to get to the top and to be in. So both are, you know, you, you've fulfilled that, that connection with Earth. Well, I think it gets back to what I was saying before. Like, I, I feel like the responsibility is to pay attention. It's not necessarily to get to the top of the mountain. It's wherever you get, be there. You that's know? right. That's right. And that's why, that's why you, again, I, I think I said that before was if you put your untention on your intention, it directs your energy. Mm. Right. So, you know, I'm going to be climbing yeah. this year. Uh, I'm going to be getting up on some big stone. And my intention now is very different than when I was in my twenties. Right. And it better be. Right. But that means I've got a bigger problem. Right. 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 Does it, and I always, I, I stay away from hard. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like yeah. that word to me, I'm very careful about because hard is a variable. Hmm. It's not a constant, hmm. right? Hard is a variable. Yeah. Like Ellen Watts said, hard, uh, hard wood is only hard against soft skin, hmm. but it's not hard against steel. Right. So how do you define hard? Right. right? And so what's hard for you is not going to be hard for me. What's hard for me is not going to be hard for you. Yeah. So we were talking about the military. You got into the military. After a few days, you're like, oh, nah, shit. I didn't fit in. I never really fit in. But you stayed. I did. Well, I don't... Uh, uh, I guess you can't I, just walk out. Well, I mean, you, quitting is always an option for some people. You know, I don't have that in my DNA. Quitting. Uh, you know, yeah. So I you am were t- committed. I'm tenacious D. <laughs> I am, like, so tenacious I'm not afraid of failure. And what, what were you doing? You were in boot camp at that yeah, point? Yeah, I was in boot camp at the time. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was still young. And, you know, I was, I was young. Even though I'd done, like, two years in college, I was still a young guy. And why were you... Was it nationalism? Patriot? We're going to go kick yeah, ass kind of thing? You know, I, I had always been attracted to uh, things that are challenging, things that are difficult. And you and physically I did, are very, very confident. Yeah. Well, I would... No, I'm, I mean, I'm very humble. I kind of won the genetic lottery. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean you, that like, but I, but I the, mean confident in the sense that you're not going to go in there and get your ass kicked. No, I was, like, ne- I, can I was this. never challenged. Right. I, w- I think I actually got out of shape. Really? Because rowers are some of the fittest people in the world. Right. Right. Uh. I mean, their VO2 max is astonishing. Right. So did you, you signed up for the Navy, Army? No, I joined the Marines. The Marines. Yeah. So yeah. Go figure. You would ass, never right. guess I was a Marine. Huh. Which is interesting because that's a big thing to me. I never want to fulfill a stereotype. Right. That's important. No, I'm Don. I'm Don Muir. I'm this person, this one particular right. organization right. of molecules and atoms yeah, and cells. you don't come across as a Marine. That's right. And that's a, you would never think I was a big wave surfer. Oh, you're a big wave surfer. Yeah, I've dropped in on some big monsters. Now, yeah. nothing like these kids are doing now. I mean, yeah. these guys are like, that's... Uh, 
I look at that and my palms sweat. Yeah, I had a guy on the other day, uh, Kyle, who. Uh, yeah, these guys are. Mavericks. Yeah, these guys are like towing in to yeah, Taupu like and Fiji. Feet. And then there's like, there's that place in France now, in Portugal, where yeah. they're like 110 foot buildings. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what though? Like, more power to them. Yeah. Like, push the envelope. Yeah. But in the end of the day, you're putting your pants on like me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's like, I really appreciate how I'm a doctor, but not really. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's well, like, you know, really. it's like seriously. And even if you're an MD, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I get a lot of. I I see acupuncturist tomorrow is one of them. Yeah. So, I think uh, Sir Ken Robinson, you know, he, mm. his TED talk back in 2006, yeah. where he's, you know, he said, university professors, there's a, they're just another form of life. Yeah. When he said that, I said we all are. Yeah. So the minute. You know, the minute I say I'm above you, I'm going to become below you. Right. Right. It's better to say nothing is below me as there is nothing above me. Right. And that is, that is deep Zen, in my opinion, because there is no emotional component to the activities presented that it must be done. Mm. And so dishes must be done. Right. Clean up. There's no emotional component. I'm not adding right. stuff into it. Right. I'm going to save my emotions for other things that have real value. Right. So when I joined the military, it was more like I was looking for something to, to challenge myself. I, you know, I had, I saw a miracle really happen on, you know, back in the days of the Soviets and the United States. And I saw the U S win the Olympics, you know, that to me was like, yeah, but I just wanted to serve and I wanted to serve because I felt like, you know, at that age, hey, I want to serve. I'm not career oriented. That that's not for me. I I don't want all that other mm. stuff. I don't need an identity. I never. I was never. I never looked at that as my identity. Mm. In fact, I really am repulsed by that concept. Right. Um, and so I went through, and I I did about seven years. Most of the time, I was pretty happy. And when I wasn't, it was pretty hard. It was very difficult for me. You know, I didn't fit in. Were you based overseas? No, I never. I stayed domestic, but I did deployments overseas. Yeah. And you were, you said earlier you did underwater stuff. I did a lot of diving uh-huh. uh, on rebreathers. I was, in a, I was in a unit at the time that was uh, known as Second Force Reconnaissance Company. And the reconnaissance, the Force Reconnaissance Companies were the byproducts of a very small unit in World War II called the Marine Raiders. And they formed up, and in, in Vietnam, they did a lot of heavy-duty, deep jungle commando operations, usually reporting on stuff back to commanders to make more intelligent military decisions. Mm. Um, so they weren't engaging, or at least it's the not, purpose it, wasn't It wasn't engaged. purpose wasn't to engage as much. And then there was a period of time near the end of the Vietnam War where things started getting pretty hairy, and they started doing what's called surgical engagements, meaning very specific, targeted you know, military operations in small units. So right. five, 10 guys. And I, my unit that I was in did a lot of very diversified skill sets, very involved, you know, communications work, uh, map work, uh, boat work, dive work, airborne work, military weapons work, explosives work, uh, mm. capturing people, bringing them back, rescuing people. One of the big missions I did when I was active duty was, uh, Extreme situational hostage rescue. So, you know, U.S. citizens have been taken by a threatening force, like saying Grenada, force reconnaissance platoon uh, number eight will go in and rescue those two students 
at the medical college in Grenada against communist insurgents. And that was one of the things that, that we did. Mm. It was a very interesting time for me. It was a, a very rewarding, but I never like, that's not what I identified myself with. Yeah. And so I decided to, to, to depart and move on with the rest of my life. And, and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I had a very strong inferiority complex because I didn't finish my degree. Your college degree. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I really, I, I felt like I had cheated myself. Hmm. And so what, I went back to school. What was your, I, how can I phrase this? I, you strike me as someone that, I mean, maybe I'm projecting here, but uh, I have never been comfortable in a group. Um, even a group of people who are actually kind of like me, I've never, I, I can't, I don't know if it's because I, I like, I, I have this feeling like when I was a little kid, I watched some movie about the Nazis and just all of them being together and like Heil Hitler. And I was just like, I'll never be in a fucking group. I'll never be one. of. I'll never do what everyone else is doing. I'll never. I mean, even in college, like all of my friends were into the Grateful Dead. And I'm like, no, fuck the Grateful Dead. That sucks. And whatever it is, I was like, not you strike me as the same kind of guy. But the military. Well, I, you have to. I want to. How did I, you fit into that? So, so, so traditional military. I didn't. Yeah, I, I was. I. But you're I, with a squad of ten guys at the. Well, yeah. I mean, that's small. But and, and, I mean, did you get along with those guys? Not all of them. A lot of them. Had, a lot of them didn't like me. Because because you, you're like I would a just black like that's stupid. Somehow. I'm not doing that. Right. That's just a bad idea. Right. And you're supposed to be a team player. Well, I think, but I think a team player doesn't mean that you just placate people. A team player means that you, when if something's a bad idea, you at least voice your opinion. Right. You know. But did and, you follow orders? Were you? Oh yeah, I was never insubordinate. Okay. You know, I mean, if it were my life or the life of others where I thought that was a bad idea, I would say I'm not doing that, and here's why. And right. and in my unit, that was allowed. Uh, you know. Right. There was a period at which we had somebody that was like too close to this doorway opening and I just back up, back up, you know, and they're like, no, 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 no. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm not going to get fragmented right now. Eat shit, motherfucker. Right. You're not standing next to that bomb. I am. Hmm. So, and you know, I mean, I, I got lucky. I didn't, <laughs> I got out with an honorable discharge. Thank God. But did you see action, you know, in a way that, that, it was a different time period back then. You know, there was really not much going on. You a said lot, you a saw, lot of it was training. People die. Oh, a lot. I saw, I saw more heinous shit when I was a photographer. Oh, okay. You know, I right. saw a kid buried to death in Lahore's landfill. I saw a headless body in Haiti. I saw a man get hacked up in Kenya, and I saw some gnarly shit as a photographer. So that was you know? as a photographer. Yeah, right. Right. you know. Yeah, I saw a lot of people get shot when I was in um, uh, um, in Pakistan. You know, there was a guy shot in uh, in Afghanistan that just <laughs> dude walked up and used a pistol and shot his wife in the head. I was just like blown away. Just in the street. Fuck yeah, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Beatings were really, I saw a lot of like very intense violence as a photographer in Afghanistan, everywhere. Uh, I mean, name it. it. It was there. 
I, I think I don't think I saw any violence in this is going to be blown with people that are our age. Like El Salvador was one of the more peaceful places I had been when I was doing photographic work. Were you there in the eighties? I wasn't. That's the irony. It's like after the eighties, it's like, Oh yeah. All that's over. You yeah. know, well, Guatemala. I was in Guatemala and pretty. Oh man. You know, I, I'm still, you know, like I, I really like your position on Hobbes. You know, it's like, I think that was a little bit monodimensional and really applying self-reference criteria to your theorem. Yeah. But then there's also a part where I'm like, yeah, but there's also that, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and, but I, you know, I'm like you, I, I in this sense that I have hope for humanity. Mm. I think they, they do desire good. And I, and I'm reminded of something that I saw in Haiti and, uh, you know, Haiti is a, a shotgun to the face in your paradigm because linguistically and experientially they're so in almost like another dimension in the human experience that, that we in the West don't understand. Yeah. I mean, people, and I, I sat in this van for like two and a half hours going out to this remote village where these doctors that do eye exams, we're going to do eye exams and then hand out correct, free corrective, uh, glasses or something. And to get on the trip, I guess the doctors have to put like $500 a piece into mm. all these glasses. And it's there. You know, I have total respect for people to do that. Cause they don't have to, they can go to sure. the Caymans and look at their fucking portfolio and their right. hedge fund. Right. That's all, you know, offshore money. They can do whatever they want and they're going to do this. I'm like, I respect that. But they're chittering and chatting for two and a half hours about, Oh, we should do this. And they should do a study on this and doing this and doing this. And I didn't say a word. And I was really uncomfortable because I'd been alone autonomous with like me and my fixer who's translating from English into Haitian Creole and sometimes French. And I'm here. I am in like, you know, shoot the white people in the white bus van. And I get scared when I'm like, that to me is really vulnerable. I'd rather walk down the street during a riot. I feel more safe than I would trapped in a tin can. Mm. Like it's terrifying to me. I would have preferred to be in a motorcycle, mm. you know, with like a stick to push people away mm. than in that van. Yeah. So to me, I'm actually stressed. Right. And I'm like, I'm having all sorts of like weird rushes and I'm sweating and the AC's on and I'm like, well, I must be sick. And it's all anxiety based because I'm worried we're going to get like pulled over and hacked up or something. Yeah. And these guys are chattering and that's killing me. <laughs> so I'm just like, God, you know, I want to like throw up or something just so I can get out of this situation. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, I'd, I'd rather be chewing beetle nut swallowing or something, you know, but, uh, uh you know, they finally go, Don, you're not saying much. And I'm like, I'm just a photographer. I, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm the guy with the camera, yeah. you know. <laughs> and they go, no, really, I really want to know what you think. And I said, well, I've been here for a month and I've taken one day off. And I have not been ever at a hotel. I've slept in a hangar bay. I was living in a brothel. I've been to the island of Tortuga and I've had some interesting experiences here. And I hear you guys saying that, and I've been down that road too. And I've come up with all those answers and you know what? It's a little bit more complicated than that. And that's, you know, where my humility, I, I'm always checking myself because I, you got to just my grandfather, when he taught me how to use, uh, his, Nikon 35 millimeter camera. And I was photographing like 
something a kid would photograph, which is like dogs fucking or something, you know, because <laughs> I'm like, dogs are fucking. That's awesome. <laughs> Let's capture this moment. And my grandfather said something I'll never forget. He goes, hey, hey Donald, just make sure you uh, look over your shoulder because you might be missing something more interesting. Mm. And I've, I've never forgotten that. Mm, yeah. Because, you, you know, you don't want to get target fixated, yeah. subject focused right. to the point where you miss the fact what's over your shoulder. Right. I've used that metaphor a lot in my life specifically for I'm in this impassioned moment because I get very, very passionate and very emotional about something. And I always say, stop, look over your shoulder. Is it really that important? There might be something more important over your shoulder, which is usually the relationship that I'm currently fucking up mm. by being so right. Mm. And that's dangerous, you know, because... You know, life is suffering if you're not careful, especially when you, there's enough people trying to fuck you over. Don't fuck yourself over, Yeah. you know, and as an, yeah. you know, that's the challenge. I think for me as a photographer and, and engaging in the world and doing some of the things I've done every now and then I do have that feeling like, am I doing the right thing? <laughs> Cause everybody else, you know, that, that kind of life of comparison and cause I'm like, you know, I'm like, um, you know, I don't have a retirement. I've like lived off $18,000 for 25 years. And, yeah, but I really do like to look at, I want maximum benefit, low cost to entry, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and partly because it's really cool that way, yeah. you know? And things that don't work out sometimes really work out. I missed this train when I was in Italy in 1994. I was, and I had, I was terrified. It was like my first kind of international travel experience. And I, and I'm in uh, Rimini and the last train left. Rimini. You know, cause the Italians, man, they're like, yeah. you know, no, no. I love the Italians being half Italian. I'm, I'm down, but those assholes need to get their train schedule down. <laughs> Tonya, yeah, come on. Because the departure time is a fucking suggestion. Exactly. You know, as the Germans, yeah. you know, you can yeah. watch that. You can their their trains are set to the international atomic clock. Yeah. I mean, the ICE yeah. pulls away at the minute. Right. Oh, well, come on. You you travel. You got to get used to that. Shit. Oh no, no no no. I'm down. You, you've been to India, oh, I imagine. All day. India yeah. Trains, no. Man. Again, that, that's not even a suggestion. That's just hope. <laughs> hope like, is a strategy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So anyway, uh, so I'm like, holy shit! I am stuck here for the night, and I'm looking around, and like, the, I'm here. So I have my my towel that thankfully wasn't wet, and I grab some cardboard, and I was terrified of getting robbed or gypsies. I had no way to defend myself and I had like $300 in cash on me. I slept on the roof of the train station on the little flat part until dawn. Mm. I just shivered and, you know, put the blanket over me and I'm sleeping on cardboard as an insulation. And I, I luckily I found like a plastic bag to act as like a vapor barrier mm. and to kind of treat, keep some heat and had all my clothes on. And uh, kind of shivered through the night and, and got a little bit of sleep and came down. And on the platform was an elderly man, kind of like, almost like, you know, he's sitting there with a cane. And he's just sitting there. And I sit down. And he speaks to me in Italian. And I, and I, I don't speak any Italian. He goes, that's okay. I speak English. And he had been involved in World War II and had worked with the, the, uh, the resistance and was anti-fascist and his whole story. And, you know, 
why Italians are different and why they've evolved and and how they have much to teach but more to learn. And I'm like, I never would have had that mm. if it had worked out. Yeah. According to plan. That's it, brother. That is I mean, I lived in Barcelona for twenty five years because I got robbed. <laughs> That's amazing. Seriously. I, I I was on my way. My plan was to go to Sevilla and I was going to teach English down there. I mean, my, my real plan was, okay, so I was in San Francisco living with a woman who was a stripper. Uh, You're my hero. Well, she, I had known her for like seven years at that point. Uh, we had this on again, off again relationship and, um, at that point, she was a stripper. And it was it was one of those funny things where, like, you know, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Know, like everyone else my age, I sort of, you know, my early adolescence, I was looking at Playboy and Penthouse. And it was before the Internet, right? So that's where you saw your naked girls. And, um, you know, I, I like everyone else, I thought, man, someday. Uh, right. You sure, know, I sure. want to I want to hook up with a woman like that and so then years later i'm in san francisco and uh living with this woman who when i met her she was 19 and i was her first lover and you know it was a real romance and all this stuff and then i uh, anyway i won't tell this whole story it would take forever but the point is, I looked in this penthouse magazine, and there she was. Yeah, man, you're still my hero. <laughs> but it, it broke my heart. Because uh... she didn't tell me oh. <laughs> that she was going to be in penthouse magazine. She didn't tell me that she had done this session. Wow. And there she is, my the love of my life at that point. Right. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What the fuck? You know, Interesting. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible. Anyway, so I was living with her. That wasn't working. Uh, and I decided, okay, this was late 80s. Anyan Sunshin had just won the Nobel Peace Prize. Okay. The, the president of Burma. Yeah. Right? Or not, she wasn't president. She'd won the election, but then she was put under house arrest. That's right. And uh, by this, these generals. You've been to Burma? I've never been to Burma. No, I refused to go because the money went to the fucking military junta. So I, I went to Burma. Mm. But I took all of my money and took it to the black market. Well done. Yeah. yeah. I got into Burma, actually. This is the irony. Mom, if you're listening. I got into Burma because of my mom. <laughs> which is like mondo <laughs> bizarre. How does that work? My mother and my stepfather were living in Singapore. And my mother, who... Is batshit crazy, but man, she is a phenomenal teacher. Mm. Like she is so good. So at, she does professionally. No, I mean, self sabotage, mm. primary script. But wow, she got us into Burma. We got a visa in like twenty four hours. Wow, because she taught Burmese government officials better English. Oh, they were like the visa processing. They were just right. they were office people, right? right? So you had to have a certain amount of money to get in. Yeah. So. <clears throat> We had our money, but then we put our money in the black market. And we got we didn't have those funny little like f federal credit things they give you. Yeah, we had real Burmese money. 
Yeah. I had this great photo of me. I'm like really gaunt because I had lost a lot of weight at the time. Yeah. And I'm holding these bundles like making it rain, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But I, we spent I, like I did a that in Laos. You get, you get there stapled together. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> massive. It's like, what is this? I mean, it's like 700 million. <laughs> and they're just wilted. You know, they, you think they're going to disintegrate. You're looking yeah. at like, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls or something. Yeah. They're just like yeah. a poof and turn yeah. into, you know, dust. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you with this. No, no, it's all, but it's all the same story. I mean, basically, so anyway, I was going to go to Sevilla, and I was the plan was I was waiting for the Burmese government to fall because there were all these sanctions against them. She had won the Nobel Peace Prize. I figured within a year or two, the, the Burmese government's going to fall, and that country will be open to the West for the first time since World War II. Right. I'll be in Spain. I'll be teaching English. I'll I'll learn like how to. I'll get some experience teaching English, and I'll go to Budapest and get the Trans Siberian Railroad to Beijing, have that experience far out, and then go down from Beijing into Burma. So I went to Spain. I, first, I went to Paris to see a, a buddy who was living in Paris, and then I thought, well, instead of flying to Sevilla, I'll take a. A bus to Barcelona, spend a few nights there, then go to Madrid, spend a few nights there, then go to Sevilla and start my life. Far out. I had a couple thousand bucks to get started, right? So I went to Barcelona. <laughs> Something like, nothing like a lean startup. <laughs> That's enough. That's yeah. enough. Uh, in those days, that was a lot for me. Um, so I, I go to Barcelona and I was sitting there the first night on the Ramblas, this sort of famous pedestrian street. And I was writing in my journal. I always kept these journals. I put the journal in my bag and this guy, uh, I had a shoulder bag and this guy taps me on the shoulder. And I was like, yeah, he's like, do you know where the statue of Christopher Columbus is? And it was like the only thing I knew. It was at the base of the Rambles. And I was like, yeah, it's down there. Oh, thanks, man. He takes off. He was distracting me. Someone else stole my bag. Oh. It had not, it had my passport, had uh, money, had that journal, which I'd been keeping, I'd been writing in for two years. So there's lots, and that's what fucking kills me. Um, anyway, so I needed to get a new passport. In the 10 days it took me, so I went to the consulate and they were like, yeah, it'll be 10 days. Okay. Then I found in another pocket somewhere or some other thing, there was a phone number of a dude that I had met in northern Mexico in the Barranca del Cobre, it's the Copper Canyon. It's bigger than the, the Grand Canyon. Yeah, yeah, Copper Canyon is massive. Oh, you know, okay, right, in Chihuahua. <clears throat> so I had met this dude hiking back in the canyon five years earlier. His name was Marcos, and he was Spanish. And he'd given me his sister's phone number. He said, if you ever get to Spain, to Barcelona, call, and she'll know if I'm in the country or not. But he traveled a lot, like me, right? So I called, and she's like, oh, yeah, Marcos, he's right here. So, Marcos, I'm this American guy. You met me in Mexico. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we met in this bar. Anyway, this was 1989. Marcos is one of my best friends. Far still, out. To this day. Right on. And Marcos sort of took it on himself to show me the best parts of Barcelona. Introduced me to all his friends. Took me to all these bars. He's the guy I went hiking in the Pyrenees. Yeah. Who goes to the top of the mountain every time. The Pyrenees are worth going to the top. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, by the time I got the new passport, I had someone had offered me a job. I'd met some women I liked. And someone offered me a place to stay. And I was like, yeah, I'll hang out for the winter. 
Why not? Why not? Yeah, all day. 89 to 90. Right? (laughs) My whole fucking life. I've lived in Barcelona. That's incredible. Because that guy stole my fucking bag. And, you know, you never know. The Trans-Serbian, the the rail trip you might have taken might have really sucked. Because I spent 28 hours on a train in 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 the on the way to Russia and uh, man, yeah, Russia again. Back dude, to Russia. let me just point this out. I was in my first class cabin uh-huh. and there was a somebody in the next cabin and all I smelled was ass and earwax. <laughs> that's all I could smell. And finally, when you can smell earwax, yeah, it's just like that's... atrocious. And you know what it was? It wasn't earwax. It was just body odor. And their baby was shitting oh. in there. And I'm like, I've only been on the train four hours. I've got 29 more hours of this stuff. And Russian I baby and I'm shit. like, I'm like, man, I got to do something. And I go to the train conductor and, you know, I'm trying to be really just, Mr. Neutral, you know, and I'm just like, can I be in a different car? Yeah. You know, can I? No. Yeah. It's hard to negotiate. It's happy birthday for you today. I hear it's your birthday. You know, out comes essentially 10 bucks. A little money. What car would you like? I'll take Mm. that one. Well, that's nice. Oh, I wouldn't have made it. I was, I had almost vomited a few times. Like I was getting like lightheaded and yeah. But, uh, it's yeah, nice I mean, to be able to buy your way out of shit. You know, I'm not, I don't normally do that kind of thing. I just yeah. suck it up and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, you never know, right. You never know. Something really cool could happen. You sit next to this incredible person. You're like, yeah. wow, yeah. that never would have happened if I had taken the easy way out. Right. But then there's, I, I looked at this more as like, I think my personal health is in jeopardy. Yeah. It, it, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Like when I get in small airplanes, I actually look at the airplane. Yeah. And it's not because I'm not going to go. It's just, I want to make sure that it, we're going to go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I've been in a lot of small airplanes. Yeah. Hitching rides. I did a lot of hitch rides when I was in Africa. I've done a lot of hitch rides mm-hmm. when I was in Central America on little aircraft. You right. know? I'm like, hey, man, uh, can I catch a ride? Well, we don't do that. Yeah, come on, man. We'll have some beers. Let's talk. Next thing you know, I'm like flying the airplane for him. You know, yeah, you want to booze up your pilot. Yeah, let's let's, get, let's get up a couple of beers. You know, because some pilots fly better drunk. <laughs> you know, my stepdad took flying lessons from a drunk. He really? didn't even know until a year later. They were doing stunt flying. And finally, they grounded him. The FAA took his flight license because he showed up one day blitzed. I knew a one-eyed jet pilot once. He, was, he had a glass eye. That's so, that's so bizarre. By the way, I want to get back on the Russia thing because I don't like to bash Russia, uh-huh. but only Russians would do this. So I was in Irkutsk, uh-huh. Siberia. Can we, can we hold this? I have to piss so bad. This, this is the only podcast I have ever interrupted because I have to piss really bad. No, I heard you had to piss bad one time before. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Yeah, I'm, you you I pissed have... outdoors. I, I piss out the door. That's, That's outstanding. I, I yeah. like it. It keeps the coyotes away. That's right. Yeah, they, they don't. And, 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 and uh, werewolves. Really? Well, I or, haven't had any werewolf issues. Well, there so it is. I right. assume it's working. That's right. Okay. So, okay, you were about to talk about Irkutsk. Oh, yeah. So, I was in Irkutsk, okay, so, which is Siberia, and I went to Lake Baikal. By the way, I wish, I wish our 100,000 listeners could be here with us right now, drinking beers. Yeah, man. I mean, isn't that weird that there are a hundred thousand people listening to this and we're like getting a buzz 
Imagine if we were sitting on the 50-yard line of the biggest soccer stadium in the world, like Camp No. Okay. Is about 100,000 people. Okay. That's where we are right now. But they're all invisible. It's like a Kurt Vonnegut story. You know that? The, yeah. Have you ever no, read yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, you're into a, you're into this like very, very existential uh, analysis. And what I think is interesting because that that type of paradigm focus and paradigm interpretation seems abstract, but it's fucking legit. Absolutely, it's totally it's really legit. Weird. Ge- oh, oh, okay. So you're geographically not here, so you're not here. Right. I mean, that could be true, but yeah, but you're involved in the experience because I mean, we're talking creatures, right? And granted, you know, you and I are having a very rich experience because you're reading my facial expressions, I'm reading yours, you're seeing my hands move, I'm seeing your, you know, how you're positioning your body. We're getting eighty percent more, but that's still. 20% of incredible capability. Or maybe we're distracted by those things. And someone who's listening to this while they're painting or they're doing sculpture or they're trimming their hedges or I'm they're hoping. driving their van, maybe they're actually more focused on the conversation that we're having than you and I are because we're distracted by me having to piss and how much beer is left. And you know what I mean? Do we actually have an issue with the beer? No, no. Okay, I just want to make bottle, sure. Not uh, okay, in the fridge. I'm just, I'm just checking. <laughs> Don't you know. panic. I was getting, Don't panic. I had a moment. You know, my back started to hurt, and my feet were getting That's cramped. Your sinus, fucking sinus weird shit, and I'm like, whoa, yeah, whoa. Yeah. So, uh, Irkutsk. Yeah, Irkutsk, and yeah. it was great because. Uh, so. Uh, this God. could be like a nine-part yeah, yeah, I know. So as I get to Irkutsk, and I go to Lake Baikal, which, by the way, Lake Baikal was phenomenal. I saw one of the most beautiful women on the planet in, outside of Lake Baikal. It was the indigenous people, which were the actual genetic origins of the Indians. You know, I think Mongolian, that, like that high Tibetan Mongolian. High, high altitude the, Mongolian, the, the, like, the like Tuvan? Yeah. Tu- Tuvaneers. I think they're the most beautiful women in the world. I'll Them and th- Ethiopians. Somali, Ethiopia. You know, we, we definitely have similar tastes because when I was in Ethiopia, I was in, in this portion of Ethiopia, and I just saw this woman, and I just went, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, that's so elegant. And it just, and not long only that. Long necks, this, long arms, long uh, fingers. You know what? I, you know what I, I, there's something about people that are really good in their body. Yeah. That's something yeah. that's cool and interesting to and, me. And very African. Yeah, yeah. Like most so Africans when are I was in, in when I was in Irkutsk, uh, I went to Lake Baikal, and I literally I went to I was kind of a tourist, which is very rare. I'm not much of a tourist kind of person, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't do selfies. Thank you very much. That's like. But I took some photos of you today. I'll put them up on the webpage. Thankfully, you can't see me. I'm like this odd silhouette. I kind of look like a sniper in the distance, getting <laughs> ready to grab you. You were a camera-wielding sniper, exactly. But I'm like, thank God you can't see me, you know? People are going to write in like, you need to change your audio, uh, your inter- people you're interviewing, Don. I mean, uh, anyway, so... Uh, Irkutsk. Irkutsk. Like, and I got like, like reindeer meat. Yeah. I was eating reindeer and I was having right. beer. I got pretty blitzed. But just before I got blitzed, this girl helped me. And I put, I'm going to put her at 19 or 20. Hmm. And she had just like this mix of human features. As I, and that's how I was seeing her. I was, it was wild. Like my, I still remember it. This, this almost, uh, 
transcendental movement of space and time where things were kind of like shedding away and I was seeing this conglomeration of human human traits being formed into one singularity mm. for a very brief period of consciousness and then and then my you know my interior voice kind of takes over and and is putting is basically trying to put it into its space and mm. compartment do what we do as a species right but she just had the, just this conglomeration, just stunning features to mm. me that I still to this day I mean it's like I'd walk through broken glass barefoot for that you know, mm. and then an Ethiopian girl. So, mm. but the the reason why I was bringing up your goose was when I flew out, I flew out on you know it was like basically and converted you know a Soviet bomber. I was thinking it's like it was a, I think it was a Tupanov one twenty four. Oh yeah, and the freaking landing gear are like stilts. If you, you know, you know, and then, you have to like go up the stairs mm-hmm. outside. It's snowing. It's cold. It's Siberia. I mean, you know, it makes Chicago look like the tropics. Yeah. And the 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 truck stair system, you know, that Nixon used to always go out on. Right. So that thing is at full extension, so we can get there. It's so bloody high. Stilts meaning you know it, it the landing gear is so high it's like on stilts. Yeah. I mean it's not like a like your seven thirty seven which you know like little stubby landing gear right. or the seven forty seven which la- I mean the plane is so close to the ground given its size right mm. for multiple reasons that are aerodynamic oriented. But I I get up there and I and there's not a lot of people on the plane. It's like a third full, mm. you know. And first off, the plane is teeny inside. I thought I was getting in the Concorde. And I was like, holy shit, this thing is teeny. Really? And then... Uh, Keep talking. What? what I'm, I'm grabbing my phone. You're going to... All right. So I go ahead and I, uh, I, take a, I take a moment and the pilot's there and I go, hey, uh, sir. And he goes, yes. And he speaks English. And I say to him, uh, how come the landing gear is so high? Yeah. And he goes, snow. And when he did that, all I smelled was vodka. <laughs> and that guy's the pilot. No earwax? In this case, Chris, no earwax. No earwax. None to be found. But I sat next to, like, this woman that should be on the runway. Uh, a runway. Yeah, it's just like, she's so gorgeous. Yeah. And then there's another girl over there that's like, yeah. she's really gorgeous, too. Yeah. And then this big, fat Russian entrepreneur billionaire billionaire dude or whatever sits down like oozes himself into the seat yeah and he's got both of them and that's his girls and then he's then he then he says what are you doing and i'm like i said i'm going to vladivostok and he goes vladivostok that's good time for party good time for for uh uh women (laughs) and he says what do you want to drink and i said um i'll have some whiskey johnny walker yes on this plane, they didn't give you the little teeny bottles for dwarfs. Yeah. You know, like they came for the Oompa Loompaville. Uh-huh. No, no. They give you a fucking fifth. Really? It's like a bottle. It could tip over. <laughs> they give you the bottle? The fucking... Chris, the bottle was massive. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe it's not a fifth, but it was... Uh-huh. I was looking at that going, is it for everyone? Because if so, we're going to need more than one glass. Yeah. You know, that was my response. Uh-huh. I was just like blown away. I get to the Vladivostok Hotel... Which is another name for brothel, evidently. Mm. I didn't know that. And I got stuck in there during a snowstorm. So for four days, I drank vodka. I ate beef stroganoff. 
and <laughs> and watched fashion TV because it was the only English speaking channel as I wallowed in despair, despair and then started making fun of the I was starting to take notes on what people said on fashion TV and it's it's fresh it's new it's super light I really what can I say he's such a revolutionary it's fresh it's light it's so new it's fresh it's light it's well, so new you, he's such you, a revolutionary you weren't hitting these these Russian hookers? no you know I didn't have I didn't have the cash. That's a pay-to-play environment. Is it expensive? Oh man, anything over five bucks is expensive to me. Are you kidding? Yeah, exactly. I always put it this way: fifteen bucks is a roll of film and processing. You know, and some things in life should be free. You know, I mean, you and I were talking about that earlier—the the whole Thai hooker thing—and like, I, I think sex is something that. I can't do it unless it's free. And I mean that monetarily. And I also mean that in terms of like any sort of jumping through hoops. Like I can't, I'm not, (laughs) you're not a paid circus animal. (laughs) I I just can't like, I I mean, a a woman has to be like, you know what? I want to fuck you. And then I'll be like, okay, good. We, you know, then then we'll do it. We have an agreement. But if it's like, if I need to convince her, Oh, no, if I need to impress her, if I need to, uh, if I need to do anything, basically, I'm not down for it. Hello, my name is Chris, and I'm the lazy lover. <laughs> well, once I'm in, oh well, then you know, yeah. yeah. No, once once I'm there, then I'm. You, know, you want to play? You're not into contract negotiation. I'm not into convincing anyone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, to, my, you know, my that's the reason why I don't. I've never slept with any of my models, man. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Right. I, I want yeah. I want you to want me because of me. Right. It's not because of my watch and my right. shoes or my car or yeah. my house or yeah. my camera. Right. You know, if you like my art, that's great, but that's not a gateway conversation. Right. You know, that's not how it works. And right. and I I want to be a person. I mean, that's my paradigm. Other, hey man, if if what you need is a camera, I I guess so. Yeah. You know, whatever. Right. But I just look at things that have. I look at things that have long-term, sustainable, uh, meaningful, dimensional value. Yeah. Because life, life is so fleeting and so short, you don't know. And to squander your time on meaningless drivel with contrived sense of importance that is counterfeit. And like the counterfeit, it's valueless. No, I have no interest if a person is not interested to me, they're not going to get the goddamn time of day. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, I'm not being mean, but it's just, come on. Yeah. Like, like, you know, when you go through, uh, uh, Kosen road, you know, or is it, yeah. Kosen is a Kosen road. Thailand. Yeah. yeah or yeah. yeah. It's like, ah, and I'm like these, they don't, I'm just, I'm a guy, you know, I'm like, I am an iconic member of some kind of narrative mm-hmm. that they're used to. Are you talking about the hookers? Yeah. 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 Oh, you, Pat Pong. Pat Pong, yeah. Yeah. Khao yeah. is like the tourist. Yeah, yeah, I'm road sorry. And, yeah. yeah. There are hookers there, too. But, yeah, but, but Pat I mean, Pong's you know, famous. and when I was in Jordan, you know, you, you would go to some of the places in Jordan uh, in um, in Amman, and the gorgeous Russians there, and, and there are some beautiful Filipinos. And there, I mean, I would talk to them, but talk to them. Yeah. I taught and, English to hookers. And, and very, very, very seldom. I mean, usually it was because I was waiting to get a ride out of the hotel. So I'd grab a beer and they would just like approach you right. like flies on poo, yeah. you know, or a bum on a bologna sandwich. You're the poo. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, so yeah, okay. You know, I gotta go. Cause it just does nothing for me. Yeah. Like that, ha- I, it, it just means nothing. 
Like there's no payoff. There's yeah. no reward. It's so empty. I had a buddy who was a, a bouncer in a strip club in Barcelona. And I used to go by there and hang out and have a drink with him. And, you know, I could get in free all the time. And uh, so I go to this strip club. And, uh, I mean, the strippers are gorgeous. Just gorgeous women. I mean, just normal women in Barcelona yeah, yeah, are yeah. gorgeous. But so the strippers are... Um, but, uh, like, I would end up, like, giving them back massages and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say to them, like, they'd come over and I'd be like, look, I'm not, I don't ever pay for sex. It's just not my thing. You know, no judgment, whatever. Okay, but where are you from and what's your story? And they, you know, like, whatever, you know, I'm, I got a few minutes. And uh, and at that point, I was living in this, in this mansion where I was, um, everybody was a fashion model except me. That's terrible. And I lived there for three years. That's and, tough. And I did, I did massage therapy with the models. You're breaking my heart. So they'd be like, you know, so these hookers would be like, at the strip in Barcelona, strippers and hookers are the same. Oh, okay. It's, you know, they sleep with people. They're, they're like rooms in the strip club. Oh, yeah. so you can get entertainment and you can also bump it up to VIP. You could be like, hey, let's go downstairs. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a can-can girl. Yeah. In the old days. In yeah. the old days, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so I, I ended up giving back massages. I, I, the reason I remember that is my buddy walked over one day and he's like, what are you doing, man? You're like, you're giving her a back massage at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get in trouble or get me in trouble. Or, yeah. It's like, that, well, she was stressed. I don't know. What do you want? Hey. Yeah. <clears throat> It's kind of. I, it's I what I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's cool about it is, you're having this. Uh, you're having this very interesting experience mm-hmm. that is. Uh, that's creating a, a, a different kind of understanding of of your connection. To to what? To the to so you're you know yeah okay so there's there's all of this downstream like front-loaded surface dressing mm. that everybody is trying to play on and you're like well i don't want to participate in that but i could do this mm. and this is cool yeah you know and and that i think is uh that uh, well i i feel that that is something that allows other experiences to become richer you know so uh, for when i was single i used to i would say well i'm interested do you want to like Go back and fool around. Well, no, that's okay. Yeah. Like I would never do sales. Yeah. First off, I'm dismal. It's at humiliating. It. It's I'm dismal, and I, you yeah. know, I mean, or you know, I was I had had a, I had been married before, and it went it went bad. It was a bad scene. Um, you know, I just like she just disappeared. I never saw her again. You know, I was in Haiti on assignment, and I got an email. I'm not going to be here when you get back. Never, I've never seen her again. Seriously. True story. How long were you married? 14 months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't recommend anybody go through that. It was really hardcore. That's... But, you know, after that, I mean, I did not have a certain, like, level of love capacity. Mm. I'd be a good sex partner. I'd, very respectful. Yeah. You know, I, you know, everything down the line, you know. It's, um, and I would say, I want you to know that I am attracted to you and I can see some really great sex happening, but I want you to know that I only have a certain level of emotional capacity. I've gotten hurt in the past. And if you don't want to, that's okay. Yeah. That was never turned down. Yeah. Because that, like, 
you know, dis like what I would call disarming approach. Yeah. You know, suddenly they're like, wow, somebody that tells me the truth. You know, you said that yeah. earlier when you were talking uh, about the way you approach people you wanted to photograph. And you said, my approach is to be who I am. Something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, well, I, I've always looked at um, my job as a photographer. Let me go back one level. My attention is to, is to lay a, a soil of of safety and confidence that their seed of experience can take hold. Mm. And so I approach them in a way where I look at it as this is a privilege that they're giving me their photograph. I'm not taking a photograph. Right. right? right. And that sometimes I ask permission and sometimes I don't. And that is, I, I take that responsibility and accountability. Right. So if someone, someone may say, I disagree with that approach, I'd be like, fine. That's yeah. for you. Right. That's not for me. <clears throat> I'm not arrogant. I'm not flippant. I'm being conscious. Right. But I really showed respect and I showed approach. I would give them the respect of their humanity right. before I do a photograph right. of focused intensity or focused purity. Well, the, the parallel I see is, you know, you're talking about when you were single and you would have a potential connection with a woman and you would just sort of lay it out. Like, look, this is who I am. This is my situation. This is what I can offer. This is what I can't. Yeah. I think a lot, you know, I get a lot of emails from young men who are unsure how to deal with women and they're afraid. If I say this, she'll, she'll leave. If I say that she'll judge me. She won't want to be with me, whatever. And I, I think that what a lot of men fail to appreciate and I and I'm guilty of it when I was young as well, is that I think what most women value more than anything else, more than how good looking you are, more than how rich you are, more than how big your dick is, more than how good a lover you are, more than how funny you are, is how sincere you are. I yeah, I would say probably the best advice is we're all human beings first and we're our gender second. Human right. beings like to be told the truth. And women get that more than men do. Well, women don't really have the opportunity to lie because a lot of their life is based on truth. Mm. It has to be. Mm. You know? What, is, what do you mean by Well, that? They, they have the issue of, of pregnancy. They have the issue of gestation. They have the issue of child rearing. You oh. can't lie in that, in right. that paradigm. Right. Um, you can't lie about the STD you know, this could, this could make you infertile. Um, um, there's a social convention about yeah. how you need to make sure that your partners are, are of worthy or of worthy hmm. attention. Hmm. And the reality is that I just look at it this way. How would I want to be treated? Right. Because I know one thing, anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you like to be lied to, please email me. I want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't. Right? Don't email me. Yeah, email him. Yeah, email me because I want to talk to you because I'd like to figure out how it feels to walk around lying to people. Yeah. Just so you can get your personal thing met. Yeah. Because, you know, it's that is what, what when those guys are, what, this is an opinion. Hello. Can't verify this. Haven't done a cross pollinational study or anything. But really, I, I feel that when you say to me that these guys are, are, are approaching you. I don't know. Should I say this? Should I say that? 
that's a lot like the finite infinite game. They're playing a finite game. Yeah, exactly. Because right. the minute you game, you're trying lose. to get laid as opposed to establish a relationship that could go on for a long time. Right. Which would include getting laid. Of course it would eventually, or maybe it wouldn't. But the fact is that by making that the goal, you, you define it. My uncle, I, I did a podcast with my uncle. You said you were sort of going through the yeah. archives. Yeah, and deciding, yeah. Listen to the one with my uncle because <clears throat> you, you and he have a lot in common. He's so good with women. He's 76 or something now. He's got stage four cancer. He's the, one of the happiest people I know. He's totally chill, totally relaxed. The doctors are mystified as to why he wasn't dead five years ago. He's just like, he's this miracle guy. But he's, he's the most uh, comfortable with women of any man I've ever met. And not even comfortable with them. They... Gra- they're like moths to flame around him. Yeah. And he's not particularly good looking. He's an old man now, right? Right. But his thing is, like, I, I was talking to him about this on the podcast, and I was like, okay, so what's, you know, what's the secret? How do you do this? And he's like, I don't know. If I see a woman, I'm at a party or something, I see a woman who seems interesting, I walk over and I hold out my hand and I say, hi, I'm Dan Carr. You seem like an interesting person. I'd like to know you. It's like, that's it. That's it. There's no secret. There's no trick. It's because they're humans first. It's no trick. He treats them like a human being. Yeah, that's it. And there's no lie. I used to do this all the time. Hey, my name is Don. What's your name? Tell me some stories. Tell me a good story. What's going on in your life? Right. And you know what? Because I really do care. I've never met this person. She may know something that I don't know. Like, when you're not partying and looking gorgeous, what do you do? Well, I work as an attorney. Really? What kind of, what kind of, I mean, come on, no. you know, I mean, if big dicks and big muscles were everything, how come most of those guys are always single? Mm. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on, you know, that's just all that is, well, it's bullshit and like bullshit. It doesn't last very long. Yeah. It just, it just, it, it, it's pathetic. It's like, you know what? You can go a long way by just treating people like people first, they're gender well, second. Well, see, we're talking about about lying, and 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 you know, you and I were talking earlier about uh, like being in Asia and how to deal with women, where like prostitution in Asia is not like prostitution in the West. Absolutely. Right? Well, they don't. They're Buddhist, it, so sex isn't the shameful, horrible <clears throat> thing. It, it's not a 20 bucks for a blowjob thing. It's more like we're friends. And I, I had this buddy when I was in uh, Nepal. I, I met this German guy and he was telling me his whole thing. He, he spent a lot of time in Thailand. And he was like, you know, I've got this friend there. And when I'm in Thailand, I call her. And if she's available, we'll travel together. And of course, I pay for the hotel and I pay for the restaurant. Right. But she speaks Thai. She translates. She gets us much cheaper prices than I would get as a foreigner. So in the end, it's like a wash financially. And at some point in the trip, we'll go to the village where her mother lives and we stay at their house. She introduces me to her family and I'll notice like the the refrigerator is old. And I'll say, hey, do you think your mother would like a new refrigerator? And she'd say, oh, yeah. So we'll go buy your mother a refrigerator. Right. And that's it. And that's it. There's no money. There's no, it's a gift to her family. And that's it. And I have, I mean, I'm, in a way, I'm almost ashamed of this, that I've never been able to wrap my head around it. 
about because I guess I'm still stuck in a Western shame based thing where I'm so uh, so sort of creeped out by the idea that she might not want to actually be with me that she might be lying to me oh uh, you know what i mean well i mean i will say this it's very seldom that a woman will have sex with someone they don't want to unless it's rape or desperation well that's it it's the you desperation know? that works and so me. yeah so i mean or, or even not just desperation, just like, ah, oh, he's another Westerner. He'll pay for this. Oh, so you don't want to be part of, like, this line of people that are just, just like, along just the way. Just another fucking rich American, you know, or European or whatever. Right, right. You know? Like, I want to be recognized as me. I want her to fuck me because it's me. Not because she's going to, you're going to buy her mom a fridge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Course, well, it's interesting though. I think it, it, it could be also some of that layered front loaded culturalization that you're dealing with where if I'm using certain words that makes it okay, but if I use different words, then it doesn't make it okay. Even though the behavior is almost identical. Right. Yeah. Right. If you call her, I mean, I'm certainly down with casual sex. Right. I got no problem with that. Right. I got no problem with fucking someone because they're from another culture and you're attracted. I mean, you know, we just talked about Ethiopians. And, yeah, sure. You know, fucking Mongolians. I mean, they, I, I definitely connect with that. It's just this there, there's this sort of coercive inequality thing, you know, in terms of like, I come from this culture that's got the money and you're, you don't. Oh, right. So you're front loading this disparity issue and then loading that into whether or not her behavior is authentic. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you're saying I'm coming authentic. Like, uh, right. I'm, I'm coming there authentic in, in your paradigm. I guess, I guess. And I, and I want to know that she's being authentic, but I don't even know what that means. How the fuck did we get on this subject? By the I way? don't know, man. You really took me down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, getting, I'm, I'm like, I'm enjoying being lost. You know, just, I don't leave. I don't leave without a compass. I can come back. <laughs> I, we were way off the main road here. I don't remember. We were in Kursk and, and, and I don't know what the fuck. Vladivostok. Why were you there? Uh, they had a massive, massive orphanage. Uh, like multiple like institutions project right. yeah right institutions and then i came back from that and i was fucked up that was hard on me i did mm -hmm. two and a half months in eastern europe photographing kids it was brutally oh dude half of those kids are dead now so i did this book on haiti you know and where i stayed was an orphanage in haiti and every single one every single person in that building was crushed that whole, that building doesn't exist gone in the earthquake yeah because mm -hmm. i was there in 07 and the earthquake happened in like 010 is that when your wife left 07 my yeah my, my my uh yeah she left in it was 10 years ago this year mm -hmm. yeah and uh so i was in haiti for about i was there for three weeks and then i came back and then I raised some money and I went back to Haiti for just over a month. And that was intense. Yeah, and, and I'm glad I went back. It was a neat way to heal a gashing wound, you know, that that person inflicted. And, uh, you know, all things end, you know, even life. 
but how it ends, mm. there's definitely something to be said for that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you can, uh, we all like to come up with softeners and excuses, but they're just some things you fucking do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's this, this concept uh, now, I guess it's called ghosting where you just disappear from someone's life. I call that cowardice. Yeah. I no, you just walk up to him and go, I'm really sorry. What I'm about to tell you it might hurt and you yeah. might feel a little pressure. I agree. You know, and I've had to do that. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. I broke up with a girl right in front of her face while she had a complete emotional breakdown. And I swear I'd never put anybody in that kind of position again. Never. Like I will not, I will make sure that the next partner I choose to have something that's, you know, with monogamish, I guess, as I would define it, I won't be nearly as flippant because watching that person suffer like that. Oh God. You know, unless you're, unless you're like a complete, you know, savage animal and not care, Mm. you know, I mean, wow, that was brutal. And I think it's important to see that. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll say from both sides, if you're a woman and you're, you know, you're dissatisfied with the choice of your partner and you know, they're farting more than you wanted and they don't ever put the toilet seat down and the toothpaste tube is always off and all that petty crap that seems to be so important. You look them in the eye and you tell them exactly why. Yeah. So that way you can see their face and let them feel it. Yeah. 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 I mean, in, in my case, I, I haven't had that kind of experience because I'm really bad I mean, I, I feel like if I ever love someone, I'll always love them. The relationship can change, and, and I've been through that. Bingo. But Just I'll, because you love them doesn't I'll mean you never. have to be with them, but you can love them. Yeah. I'll never stop loving them. If I really love someone, I'll always love them. And so, luckily, the two, the woman I told you about, it was the stripper who was sort yeah. of the love of my 20s. And yeah. then there's another woman who was the love of my 30s. Um, they're both very close friends now. They're sisters, you know, at yeah. this point. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird. And man, with this, this has been one of the most far ranging conversations I've had on this podcast. I thought we were going to talk about photography. We went to Irkutsk and we talked about women and then we talk about chihuahuas and the, the, the Copper Canyon. And we, yeah. we've been, we've yeah. It's the Grand Tour, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't... I mean, there are a lot more things we can talk about. Anytime. But yeah, let's, let's close. do this again. Yeah, anytime, man. This yeah. is great. This is my favorite thing in life, is just stumbling over somebody and then like, oh, holy shit. Yeah, yeah there's nothing like great. a shotgun to the face to gather your attention. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, but we got to eat. We do. All right. With whatever is in the kitchen. There is some food here. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Thanks for doing this, man. Hey, thank you, Chris. Oh, your website, Don Mira. DonMira.com. And then is your book available? The, the, so the you book can go news? on to you can go on to Amazon. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have any appreciation for beauty and the female form, hmm. that, that book is just lovely. Oh, thanks. I mean, seriously. I mean, and also your 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 photojournalism as well. I just just I mean, the thing is, it's easy to when you get good, it's easy to take a beautiful photograph. That's not the hard part. The hard part is to take a beautiful photograph that's got some question in it or some 
edge to it or some mystery to it or some emotional impact that isn't just a beautiful photograph. You know what I mean? It's like a beaut- there are lots of beautiful women in the world. You want to... Like, but what really gets your attention is a beautiful woman who's got the scar on her face. Right. right? Who's got that certain look in her eye like, whoa, what's going on there? This isn't just another beautiful woman. And your photographs really get that. There's, they're not just beautiful photographs. That, seriously. They're, they're, and that, that book, the, 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 the nudes, they're not just beautiful naked women. There's edge. There's, there's humor. There's real electricity in some of those photographs. And I intend to spend some time perusing that book. Oh, yeah. It was uh, yeah, like six years in the making and uh, didn't really start that way. I was just like trying to do something almost like a study. And, and it, just kept, it just kept going and going. And then you know, I got pushed to, hey, you should publish a book. What's it called? It's called The Reluctant Muse. Reluctant Muse. Yeah. And it's kind of about, you know, it, and I discussed this in the end notes, you know, uh, about how I think so many of the women after they've been photographed were transformed by that experience. Yeah. You know, and they've transformed since that experience. If that makes sense. Like a lot of these women have like had kids or they've been, they've lost weight or they've gained weight or they're, uh, they're in different careers. You know, I had no, I can't find them anymore. Uh, You know, they've moved out of the country it all goes back to that same thing, I think, and feel that they were finally allowed to be more of what's been residing inside of them and they felt better for it. Mm. And I think, yeah. you know, I kind of always... It's a liberation. Yeah. Like you're photographing, you're capturing a liberation. You know, because yeah. without choice, there is no freedom. Without freedom, there is only slavery. Right. So the minute you've lost choice to do something you... That, that is within you that you want to do and you're denied that, you know, you've missed part of the human experience. Yeah. And I, I, I think that especially like some of the women were like having issues with their partners when they found out they had been in this book Really, and they would contact me and I would say, I kicked that guy to the curb, like a big, bad tid can mm. because that's part of who you are. And I support you in making your own choices. Yeah. Do what you do as you see fit. But you know, that's a red flag. Yeah. Because I can tell you what I would want is to have you call me and say that, you know, my fiance or my boyfriend or my husband now would like to have, uh, can we take you to dinner? Can you get a prank? Can we (laughs) get more? Can we get a copy? Exactly. Because, you know, people aren't property. Yeah. You know, that, that's what, like, when I hear people, oh, my husband would never let me do that. What yeah. are you, like, do you wear your slave collar too? Right. I mean, that's different than the, the BDSM thing. I just <laughs> want to point that out, right? Because I know all, I know all about slave. that world, trust me. Exactly. So, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, you know, you're wearing yeah. a choke chain, you know, yeah. or I would never let my husband do that. I'm like, yeah. you know, your people aren't property. Yeah. You know? Eventually, that stuff comes out. Like, I always say, man, tell the truth, because we're all going to get found out, you mm. know, because you're not who you think you are on that stage. Yeah. And so that book was, you know, very difficult to put together. It took me a year and a half to get it edited. 
I had to walk away and come back. I did let it gestate. You know, it's like making wine. You don't have to like taste the wine. Ah, we could go another six months. Right. And I had to make some hard decisions. And then I had other issues. You know, this with books, it's just like, yeah. you got to be careful. It can become the life book. Yeah. And that's where I finally lost. I really lost my shit one night when I was drinking a little too much scotch. And I just went, I'm never doing it. Forget it. I can't get it right. And then I woke up the next morning and I said, you're going to make one more change and then you're going to do it. And that's it. That's all that's going to happen. William Butler Yeats said, a poem is never finished, merely abandoned. Oh, wow. <laughs> Man, that's going to like, I'm going to have to process that. That's amazing. This podcast episode will never be finished, but let's abandon it so we can eat dinner. What do you say? Cheers. All right. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. You enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, and then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, if you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast, write a review on iTunes, or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun. And you can check them out at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast, you can go to Reddit, where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast. Uh, I drop in and answer questions, post photos, uh, whatever. Pretty cool community there. Another forum where you can meet fellow listeners to this podcast is at t eight. No, sorry, tspeaking.boardhost.com. This has been set up by a listener to enable people to um, register and uh, their different states and countries so you can find people who live near you, get together, have a beer, smoke a bowl, eat some mushrooms, dance under the moonlight, however you celebrate these things. You'll find uh, like-minded spirits on that. It's Again, it's tspeaking.boardhost.com. Dot com. And uh, if you want to get some T-shirts, we have the Civilized to Death shirts, Sex at Dawn shirts, Tangentially Speaking shirts. They're all in my mom's garage. She will get them out to you in a jiffy. Julie, my mom, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. So you can find those on my website. That Chris Ryan, chrisryanphd.com, tangentiallyspeaking.com, whatever. You'll find them. Just look in the store there. If you want to buy some other T-shirts from the same manufacturer, that Sure Design T-shirt shirts they are fantastic i know i say this is an ad free podcast uh and this could be construed as an ad but sure design t-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception bennett who was the dude there decided he was going to support the podcast he sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out since bennett died the people who took over sure design t-shirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that bennett gave us so be sure to use the discount code CTD, as in civilized to death, when you order anything from them and you'll get 20% 
20% off your entire order. That's the discount code CTD, and that's at SureDesignTShirts.com. Thank you to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear. You can check her out at CarseyBlanton.com. She performed this little ditty, especially for us. Sounds like she was sitting in her garage. You can hear the birds chirping. The song is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to live now because you're going to die one day. This is for you guys, Bennett and Justin. Miss you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground 